in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, your co-host, Jenny Hart. Hey, Art! <laughs> What's up, Brother Bear? <laughs> hey, I'm just uh, I'm just keeping on trucking, my dude. Uh, that's a big 10-4, good buddy. It's a big 10-4 to all of our bunk funkers out there. Woo-woo! Woo woo! We know you're out there. If you're listening, honk your horns. Honk your horns. So, Andy, wouldn't you say they should honk their damn horns so loud that even the fine people of Norway can hear them? Wake up those Norwegians with your horn honking. Let's get them out of bed. And it's that kind of always dark there now, or it's never dark there now. <laughs> it's one or the other. It's. It's one of the two with Norway. Uh, we never yeah, know. It's, it's either deal. always dark in Norway or it's never dark in Norway. You know what, Na- uh, Norway? Just just send us an email and just let us know. Just keep in touch, Norway. We miss you. We love you. How are you? This pandemic you never is call scary. Norway. Are you okay? We just want to know that you're okay. Wear a jacket if it's cold. It might Norway? be cold. You're up there in the Arctic Circle part of you. You know, we, we'd love to, you know, we'll send you some, we'll send you some of our, we'll send you some food, we'll send you a care package, whatever you want, just let us know how you're, just call. You never call. We just want to hear your voice. <laughs> and you know who else, uh, who else's voice we would love to hear, Andy, because it would help us wow. solve this case. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we would love it's to today's hear. Topic. We, we'd love to hear the voice of the subject of today's episode which is the ice doll woman and um and that's that's true andy and this topic was submitted to us by one of our uh, fantastic listeners that's right this is uh this was submitted to us uh anna from spain submitted this episode uh after listening to the summerton man episode Mm -hmm, she said you know you guys should check out the ice doll woman case they're very similar and that they would love to hear what we think so thank you so much anna and uh saludos and for safety's sake i'm gonna say thank you thank you so much anna um oh because you know what i got an accent (laughs) yeah yeah you do you do it i got an accent too yeah, that's I, right. I, I got I, an accent. It's it's Anna, right? And uh, I have, sausage. I have no accent, so I'll just say Anna. Anna, thank you for the suggestion. Yeah. Great topic. Um, we can't wait to get into it. 
And thank you for sending us a, a very kind and lovely message. We love reading so stuff nice. like that. If you want yes. to submit a topic or a message to us, boy, we would love to hear it. And boy, yes. we need to pick me up some days, Andy, because... Yeah, oh boy. Oh boy, it gets dark up here in our minds, don't you think? Yeah, speaking <laughs> of places where the sun never shines, inside my head. Yeah, two places. Our heads and our... <laughs> you know what? <laughs> our anuses. <laughs> if you want to submit uh, a topic, of a suggestion to us, you can email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com Log on to our web. You don't have to log on. Uh, you could just access it through any <laughs> any kind of web browser. <laughs> Make sure to sign up. We need your email address, full name, date of birth, social security number. Ask uh, your, your parents' permission before logging on to MrBunkersConspiracyTime.com. <laughs> A valid checking account and routing number. Um, and just submit up, put that all in the website, and we'll respond to you. Um, or you can find us on Twitter at Mr. Bunker Pod or Instagram at Mr. Bunker Pod. So if you want to hear all about the Ice Doll Woman case, if you loved the Summerton Man case, if you love true crime, if you love unsolved mysteries, this is the episode for you. I promise you that. And this one, you're getting a whole enchilada with this one, wouldn't you say? (laughs) It is a spicy and chock full enchilada. Oh, yeah. And uh, so if you want to skip right ahead, you can check out the show notes of the episode. Look in the description. You will find a timestamp that will take you to when the research begins. But first, First. Andy and I need to check in with each other and talk about Mm -hmm. where in the world is Mr. Bunker. Where in the world is Mr. Bunker? (laughs) That's the uh, that's the working theme song. It's beautiful. (laughs) Composed on the spot. Yeah. By Andy. (laughs) Not, not, uh, no connection to any existing intellectual property, um, or that's right, gumshoes, uh, copyrighted, uh, acapella group music. Uh, that was my own creation, uh, completely oh made boy. up on the spot. <laughs> uh, Andy, we got another postcard from Mr. B this week, and another uh, postcard from Mr. B. I didn't want it, but it was addressed to me. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why I didn't match your singing. I should have matched your singing, Andy. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It was time to transition out of singing. I'm a piece of shit. (laughs) Well, yeah, but that's I'll never forgive myself for it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, Last week, Andy, we got a uh, well. uh, It it was a it was a weird postcard from Mr. Bunker. He was in Mm -hmm. Borneo, Borneo, right? which has nothing to do with the born identity. I learned um, <laughs> that was your that was your initial inclination was that this is where Jason Bourne's family was from. Yeah, turns out it, he was at a great ape sanctuary, possibly mating with a. Uh, we don't know. That's yeah. an allegation. We don't it's, know. We don't know. Allegedly mating with apes, possibly trying to create a sex super with ape soldier. That's right. Yeah, having sex with orangutans. This week. Uh, he is on, uh, he's on a very different part of the world. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Where is he? Oh, uh, this week. Did you uh, want to say it or you want me to say it? <laughs> Either way. It's fine. Uh, okay. I'll say it since I already started. Uh, yeah, okay. This week. Uh, we know how to do this. Yeah. We... <laughs> Sorry. This is our first podcast. Just give us a break here. Um, 
Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bunker this week uh, is in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Uh, oh, in fact, beautiful. Yeah, he is in the state of Washington, um, specifically uh, near uh, Seattle, Washington, um, which you might have heard of. Uh, so he's out there. He's on the Puget Sound. Um, you know, Washington's been uh, pretty hard hit by uh, the, the COVID-19 virus. Um, and so Mr. Bunker, um, he sent us a picture uh, and what he's doing is he's like, uh, he's emulating, I guess is how I'll say it, the the uh, fishmongers from the famous Pike Place Market. Um, and he's like chucking fish at bears um, out alongside a stream. And in the postcard, uh, he says that he went there to see the fishmongers, but the whole place was closed down. So... He had all this salmon he needed to get rid of. I don't know what that means exactly. Why did he have so much salmon? Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. And so there were no human customers to sell it to, so he tr- started selling it to bears. So apparently he's developed some sort of a barter system with uh, brown bears in the Pacific Northwest. And um, if Goldilocks teaches us anything, Andy, it's that bears are good at bartering. That's true. They know when something they know when something's too hot or too cold and just right. So they know when a price is too high, too low, just right. You know what I'm right. saying? Some of these some bears are gonna like the price that's too high. Some will only want it too low. But there's one there's at least one third of the bears like the price right where it should be. Um and you know, Mr. Bunker, uh I guess he's doing okay at this. He's he seems from the note, it sounds like he's got a large collection of of berries uh, that he's collected from the bears. Um, but then, you know, I don't know. I guess he's like in sales mode because at the end, he like signs off by saying, I'm just going to stay out here for a while and keep uh, uh, tossing salads and scrambling eggs. <laughs> Which, again, I, grammar. Yeah. Can someone please check in with Kelsey Grammer? Is Kelsey Grammer, okay. Because uh, he knows Frasier was just set in Seattle, right? It wasn't actually... They did very little filming in, in Seattle. Um, yeah, it was a soundstage. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess he heard the oh blues boy. a-calling. Um, oh. Mr. <laughs> anyway, he might be... He might be doing butt stuff with bears. I don't know. I don't know if that's what that means. I don't know if he's tossing bear salad. Do you remember when Oprah got in trouble for saying tossing salad? No. What? You don't remember that? Didn't Oprah no. get in trouble for talking about tossing her salad? Getting her salad tossed? She didn't she was like oblivious to what that meant. Was she like talking about a salad? I'm gonna look, I'm gonna Google Oprah getting her salad tossed and see what kind I, of hits. I Googled get. Oprah tossing salad. I just got salad dressing recipes. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey discussing salad tossing on uh, Daily Motion, so that could possibly be porn. <laughs> see, toss salad and other Oprahisms on EnglishForums.com. Oh, love English forums way better than. Uh, <laughs> non-English forms that I can't read. Well, anyway, if you out there remember Oprah talking about tossing salad, send us a note. 
Let us know what you think about Oprah tossing salad. And if you have any Mr. Bunker sightings, uh, you can always email those to us or tweet those at us at Mr. Bunker Pod or Mr. Bunker Pod at gmail.com. Um, we haven't uh, haven't gotten a lot of sightings of Mr. B uh, from from listeners, so he must not be, he must be kind of yeah he's being a little bit it's sneaky. Elusive. Um, speaking of being sneaky, Andy, how was your week in quarantine this week? Oh, my week was just great, Art. Um, yeah, you know, I uh, I went outside. They let once. you out of your cage. Hey, yeah, um, and. Uh, despite all my rage, uh-huh. um, despite I had a pretty good week. Rage. I mean, nothing happened, right? There's nothing, nothing open, nothing to do. But it was good. That's good. Well, Art, how was your you week? You know, we got to check in, Andy. Gotta how was your week in you? quarantine, Art? Oh, it was, it's just like any other, really. Thanks for asking. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> the fuck are the days even these days, you know? Like, what's time? What's anything? Yeah. <sighs> no, my week was great. Hey, that's can't good. Complain. Can't, complain. can't complain. Well, I can't exactly find what Oprah said, but she sure got a lot of FCC complaints for whatever this teen sex show that she had was. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, here's anyway, a here's a link on speaking YouTube. Of, what is uh, tossing a salad? Let's see what Oprah has to say. Well, well, we're, <laughs> we're deep in this rabbit hole, okay, bunk funkers. Before Andy gets down a rabbit hole that inevitably will lead to porn, like it always does with him, uh, we should go somewhere else where teen sex shows are allowed. Norway. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Is it? I don't know. Okay. Someone's getting fjorded over there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as we said, the uh, I Stall Woman case is a unsolved mystery uh, going even to today. And it, if you enjoyed our Summerton Man case, now, we don't know anything about, I'll say this right up front, we don't know anything if the I Stall Woman had strikingly muscular calves. That's, that, yeah. We don't know. That detail is but lost in history. <laughs> yes, right. And there is, but there is a lot of other really fun details and, 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 and I think a lot more fuel to the mystery fire, yeah. which is another tie in. Yeah. Uh, so let's not delay any further here, Andy. Let's get right to it. Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's board the fjord and head over to Norway on our, uh, on our, on our, on our sailing vessel, the SS. Enchilada. <laughs> Here on Mr. Bucker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Lutefisk. Art. Today... We're traveling to Norway, the birthplace of skiing, home to the king of fjords, the Sognafjord, and home to the king of Norway, King Harald V. Uh, you might also be familiar with these other famous Norwegians, Edvard Grieg, Edvard Munch, and Edvard Moser. Uh, as far as I know, everybody in Norway is named Edvard. Uh, 
Now, as much as we <laughs> both love to visit the Contiki Museum and see Tor Heyerdahl memorabilia, drive the Atlantic Ocean Road, and ride the Fjellheisen cable car to get views from atop Mount Storsteinen, unfortunately, our trip to Norway will be much more grim. You see, bunkfunkers, today we're investigating the mystery of a woman found dead, which has baffled investigators for nigh on 50 years. That's right, Andy. We're headed to the outskirts of Bergen on the west coast of Norway. Bergen is the second largest city in Norway, Andy, and also the fjord capital and street art capital of Norway. Wow. Uh, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of stuff. It's an important port city, Andy. And uh, Bergen for many years was a trading hub of the Hanseatic League. Um, we'll put this, uh, we'll say this right at the top here, listeners. Andy put in, uh, pronunciations for all the words today. Every word. So, uh, <laughs> if you're planning on playing the, uh, the not advised drinking game of take a drink every time Art mispronounces something, um, you might, you might be in, you might, you might have a fun time this, this week. I'm still going to mess things up. Uh, you know, if bunkfuckers, if you're if you're doing that and drinking every time Art misspells something and this ruins it for you, I let us know and I won't do this ever again. Uh, well, we're going to need it for this episode. But hey, <laughs> I can't say enough nice things about Berg, Andy, because it boasts a real nice bay. Mm-hmm. I'm talking a really sexy bay, mm-hmm. a bay bay. And just what makes Bergen's Bay so fuckable? Well, it's because it's so smooth and well-protected, of course, thanks to several islands at sea and the seven mountains that surround the city. To be fair, though, uh, there are actually nine mountains. So pick your two least favorite mountains and tell them to get fucked, Andy. Fuck those mountains. Fuck those mountains. But one mountain you don't want to fuck off for in this story is Uriken. Uh, the highest of the seven mountains. We don't want Ulrikin to fuck off because that's where our story begins. On November 29th, uh, 1970, on a slope of Mount Ulrikin, known as Eistolen in Norwegian or Ice Valley. Eistolen is also sometimes called Death Valley thanks to its uh, history of medieval suicides and more modern hiking accidents. It was on that November 29th day, a Sunday, that a father and his two daughters were on a hike through Ulrikin's Ice Valley. While hiking, they noticed a body on the ground, lying amongst the rocks. They approached to investigate and find the body badly burnt with its arms in front of its face in a defensive posture. The smell of burning flesh filled the air. Now, the family immediately hiked back to Bergen to call the police. When police arrive on the scene, they find the victim is a woman. They also find that while the front of her body is burned beyond recognition, the back of the woman's body seems to be fine. Police also discover some objects on or near the woman's body. They find jewelry, two earrings, and one ring, and a watch, which was set to 10 minutes after 10, Uh, the time to which watches are typically set to make them more appealing to consumers. These jewelry pieces were curiously next to the body, not on it. They find a broken umbrella, a necessity in Bergen. Well, a functional umbrella is really the necessity, not a broken one, uh, because Bergen averages over 200 rainy days per year. There's a very burnt piece of plastic believed to be a passport container. There are some bottles 
two two melted plastic water bottles, and an empty bottle of St. Halvard liquor, which is uh, just cheap Norwegian booze, basically. Uh, they find a matchbook. There's a purse, a woolen jumper, a scarf, nylon stockings, and rubber boots, one of which is beside the body and not burnt. There's also a fur hat underneath the body. Strangely, police find that labels had been removed from the woman's clothing and labels were removed or rubbed off of the items found at the site. Police also noted the absence of a campfire. Bergen PD had quite a mystery on their hands, a gruesome, mysterious death with only a collection of confusing clues to go off of. The Gades Institute in Bergen conducted the autopsy of the body. It was discovered that the woman, who had been given the name the Eistall Woman, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Listeners, Andy put a pronunciation guide for the word woman. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) They gave her the name Eistall Woman uh, since her actual name was not known. The woman had a strange bruise on the right side of her neck, and examiners also found a large amount of phenomal in her bloodstream. Um, Phenomal is a sleeping pill, allegedly one of the most common used by women of the time to commit suicide. The autopsy found that the ice doll woman had 50 to 70 phenomal pills in her body, which were taken over multiple doses. Police also found 12 pills next to the woman's body. Interestingly, though, the phenomal was not completely absorbed into her bloodstream. So it was determined that the pills alone could not have been the cause of death. The autopsy also found smoke particles and soot in the Eistall woman's lungs, indicating that she was alive while her body burned. The Eistall woman also had a high level of carbon monoxide. Now, the fur hat discovered by police under the body was found to have a small amount of gasoline or petrol on it. The soil beneath the body also had some petrol in it. Ultimately, the Gaddes Institute determined that the ice doll woman committed suicide by taking a bunch of sleeping pills and then setting herself on fire through the fire, though the fire, like the pills, was considered a contributing factor in her death, not the sole cause. Despite the petrol found in the hat and the soil, no evidence of a fuel container was found at the site on Ulrichen. Even with the autopsy determining likely suicide, police continued to investigate. Three days after the Eistall woman's body was discovered, uh, so this would be December 2nd, 1970, two suitcases were found in the unclaimed luggage at the Bergen train station. The suitcases were left at the station on the 23rd of November, six days before the body was found. Inside the suitcases, police found a pair of sunglasses with a fingerprint that matched the Eistall woman. What a breakthrough! They'd found the mystery woman's luggage! Inside, police find some pretty mundane items. Clothes, a comb, a hairbrush, train timetables, a plastic bag from a shoe store in Rome, Italy, and a pair of very worn slippers with the word Italy on the label. Then there were some more curious items in the suitcases. Uh, There were wigs, non-prescription glasses, makeup, which had all the labels removed and the brand uh, could not be determined, a tube of eczema cream, which had the prescription label removed, a steel spoon with an engraving on the back of a heart with S-C-H, an underscore, and the letter P, 
a sewing kit from a hotel in Geneva, Switzerland, five 100 Deutschmark notes, 135 Norwegian kroner, and coins from Belgium, Switzerland, and the UK. There was a Norwegian roadmap with the names of railway stations between Oslo, uh, the Norwegian capital, and Bergen, written at the top in the woman's handwriting, and a compass. Police also find a matchbook from Beda Usa, a famous German sex shop and the number one pornography dealer in Germany. So you know they're dealing in some seriously hardcore pornography. <laughs> Just the way I like it. <laughs> the harder core, the better. <laughs> in addition to these items, the suitcases also contained a notepad on which only the first page was written. There was a code written in blue ink, which initially could not be cracked by police. An example of one line of the code is this. O thirty B N five. In the suitcases, police also discovered a plastic bag from a shoe store in Stavanger, Norway, a town in the southwest of the country, which is nowadays home to the Norwegian Petroleum Museum. Finally, with something to go on, the police head out to Stavanger and pay a visit to the shoe store, Oscar Rortvet's Footwear Store, cleverly named. When the police go to get Oscar Rortvet's. They don't find Oscar Rortvet. <gasps> Instead. They find his son, Rolf Rortvet. You dare challenge the son of a shepherd, Ed Boys? Not an Ed and Eddie fan? It's past your time. Okay. Anyway, Rolf remembered that the ice doll woman shopping in the store, he remembered her. He recalled selling her a pair of so-called celebrity boots from Askim Gumenvarum Fabric. Gumenvarum Fabric. Three weeks earlier. Uh, the boots Rolf sold the ice doll woman were, in fact, the same rubber boots found at the scene of her death. Rolf told police that the ice doll woman considered the boots for a while in the shop, checking herself out in the mirror quite a bit. Now, she didn't purchase the boots right away either, but came back the next day to buy them, much like I did when I bought some boots. You're right. <laughs> Since the ice doll woman spent so much time in the shop... Rolf was able to give a pretty detailed description of the woman. Here's what Rolf had to say about her. She was well-dressed, medium height, had a round face, had long dark hair, had dark brown eyes, was curvy, and had good-looking legs. Is it getting hot in here or what? Oh, I saw a woman was a smoking hot babe. Wow. <laughs> Not so icy after all. <laughs> Oh, God. As if that description wasn't tantalizing enough, Rolf also said that the woman had a strong, strange aroma. Stop it, Rolf. I'm in love. You had me at strong, strange aroma. Okay. Come on, Art. Pick your jaw up off the floor. I'm sure you're drooling mustard everywhere. Bunkfunkers, as you know, it's well established that when I see something I'm attracted to, I drool mustard. That's what he does. <laughs> now... As we'll see, apparently a lot of Norwegian men found the ice doll woman to have an alluring appearance, and people of both sexes said she had a strong smell. Rolf reported a strong odor to police, but at the time, he, he couldn't identify it. He since said that he believes the smell was garlic. According to Rolf, garlic wasn't all that common in Norway in 1970, but became popular a few years later. After the garlic craze hit Norway... He realized that's what he was smelling. Other employees in the shop described the Eistall woman's aroma as that of a strong, spicy perfume. 
Now that police knew the Eistel woman had been in Stavanger, they started checking around at the local hotels. They determined she stayed at the Hotel St. Svithin in uh, Stavanger, which is now the Comfort Hotel in Stavanger. There's also now a St. Svithin Hotel in Stavanger at the Urgent Care Center, uh, but the Eistel woman didn't stay there. Uh, for more information on this, uh, check out the latest media property from Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time. Are you going Norway? Uh, we'll be talking <laughs> at nothing but Norwegian travel tips. Subscribe today. Anyway, police find that the ice stall woman stayed at the Hotel St. Smith and using the uh, uh, and using the hotel registration card, uh, a practice in Norway at the time. They found out the woman's name, Fenella Lork. On the form, she claimed to be Belgian. Staff at the St. Svithin said that the Eistall woman wore a fur hat that looked like it could have been from a Soviet state. Maybe Uzbekistan. Police presume the fur hat was likely the same found at the site of the woman's death. They find out that the Eistall woman checked out of the Hotel St. Svithin the same day she purchased the boots at Oscar Rortvet's footwear store, the 18th of November, 1970. She had spent nine days at this hotel which seemed like a pretty long time. If she was a tourist, why go to Stavanger in November for a holiday? For the answer to that and so many other questions, join us on Are You Going Norway? Bunk Funkers, when the ice doll woman checked out of the Hotel St. Svitham, um, a taxi was called to pick her up. And the police tracked down the taxi driver who was able to give a description of the woman. He described her as uh, very sexy, good-looking, but hips. I don't know. It's kind of Robert Nero. <laughs> anyway, God damn, this fucking taxi driver gets it. Oh, baby, this is one sexy babe. All right, already. Splash some water on your crotch, Jay's Louise. Come on. Ah. <sighs> This horny cabbie said he had a hard time understanding the Eistall woman because she didn't speak Norwegian and didn't speak very good English either. Despite the trouble, he finally figured out that she wanted to go to the hydrofoil boat, which is where he dropped her off. Police determined that she boarded the hydrofoil and made her way to Bergen. Once in Bergen, police hit another wall. They checked with the hotels in Bergen. There was no record of a Fenella Lork anywhere. If she's not Fenella Lork, who is she? Well, eventually police determined that when the woman came to Bergen, she checked into the Hotel Rosencrantz on November 18th, checking out on November 19th. On November 19th, she checked into Hotel Hordeheimen, where she stayed until November 23rd. At both hotels in Bergen, she used the name Elizabeth Lienhofer. At Hotel Hordeheimen, staff provided police with some information about the woman. For one thing... They once again noticed she had a very strong, spicy perfume, just like the shop in Stavanger. The staff said the Eistall woman also had some strange behavior. Apparently, there was an armchair in her room, which was room 407. The woman would move the chair into the hallway outside the room whenever she was in the room. Then, when she left the room, she put the chair back in the room. Now, to me... You know, personally, it sounds like she was kind of distrustful of chairs, which, you know, is reasonable. I get it. I once bought a chair that turned out to be like that chair from Pee Wee's Playhouse. You can't trust chairs, Andy. You got to move those chairs. Mm -hmm. That's a fair point, Art. You got to move them. Got to move those chairs. 
The Hordeheim and staff also said that the Eistall woman continually had the do not disturb sign on her door, but she did occasionally allow a maid to clean. The uh, Eistall woman, whatever the heck her friggin' name is, was last seen on November 23rd, 1970, checking out of the Hordeheimen. She paid her bill in cash and asked for a taxi. Police knew that she checked her bags into the Bergen train station on November 23rd as well. Her whereabouts beyond that, though, are, well, unknown. No eyewitnesses claim to have seen her between checking out and when her body was found on Urukin. As part of the investigation, police called in a code breaker to look at the weird code writing found in her suitcases. The code breaker figured it out pretty quick. The code was kind of like a record of the places she was staying. For example, earlier we gave you a line of code. Do you still have it? You'll need it to claim your prize if you're selected as our winner. The code we gave you was O30BN5. Bingo! In this case, O is for October and 30 is for 30th, the 30th of October. The B is for Bergen, the N is for November, and 5 is for 5th or November 5th. What this records is that she stayed in Bergen from October 30th through November 5th. This matches with the hotel registration cards showing she stayed at the Hotel Neptune in Bergen on those dates. This system explained most of the code that was written, but one part of the writing remains uncracked, even to this day. On the lower left of the page, she wrote 10M, and underneath that she wrote ML23N. M.M. You know, Art and I love amateur sleuths, and I uh, fancy myself a bit of a Shrecklock Holmes type. So I'd like to offer, offer my own hypothesis for the uncracked code. I think 10M is 10 marshmallows, and ML23NMM is Marshmallow Launcher 23 Now. Marshmallow, marshmallow. Uh, personally, I think the Eistall woman invented some kind of a marshmallow cannon and was traveling around trying to sell it. You know what? Just about every fucking mysterious case we talk about, you tie back to marshmallows in some way, Andy. And I hope someday science proves you right. You know that? Thank you. I know I sound like I'm angry, but I'm passionate. Thank you. I know. You get riled up, and that's fine. You're just, you know, I, I love your passion for marshmallows. Anyway. I have a deep passion. <laughs> A burning flame. Unlocking most of the code allowed police to begin scoring hotel records. Scouring hotel ah, records. They're, and scoring Take a them. drink. And they're, and they're scoring them. Yeah. Too. <laughs> Hotels are like uh, bread loaves. This was the earliest f- version of TripAdvisor. <laughs> Using the Eistall woman's handwriting to match up with hotel registration cards, right? They confirmed that she stayed at numerous hotels in Norway throughout 1970 and used at least eight different names in her travels. And for some reason, Andy gave me the rundown of all her pseudonyms. Here they are. (laughs) (laughs) Fenella Lork. We already talked about that one. Elizabeth Leenhofer. We talked about that one as well. Then you've got Claudia Tielt. You got Verla Jarl. Jarul. You got Alexia... Zarname Ah fuck. Alexia Zarnamarche. Uh, Alexia Zarnumache. You got Claudia Nielsen. 
That's easy. Piece of cake on that yeah. one. You got Genevieve Lossier. Genevieve Lossier. And then you've got uh, Vera Schlossenek. Not bad. So, yeah, okay. I mean, you know that. what? Hey, you got, you get, I had some good pronunciations on that one. <laughs> um, the last name police discovered she used while staying in Paris. Uh, the last name police discovered she, she used while staying in Paris in October. Using so many different names. Well, it lightly meant that the East All woman uh, had at least as many passports, right? And yet, no passports were recovered, either on her person or in her belongings. In Norway, at least, the Eistall woman consistently claimed to be Belgian. Now, the Bergen police asked Belgian authorities to check the woman's identities. And the Belgians found that each and every single one was false. The Eistall woman also filled out the Norwegian hotel registration cards consistently in German, but... According to German speakers, she did not use German correctly on the registrations. Though consistent when providing her nationality and the language she used, she was inconsistent in other details on the forms. For one, she uses a bunch of different dates of birth, though they're all typically in the years 1943 to 1945. She listed different occupations on the cards, uh, including trading in goods, trading in professions, uh, which is an example of her poor German, and antique stealer. The cards also collect where you were before arriving and where you plan to go after leaving. The Eistel woman listed cities in Norway as well as the rest of Europe, possibly indicating that she was traveling extensively throughout the continent. Interestingly, one element of consistency among the cards is the woman's handwriting. As we mentioned, that consistency was important in police figuring out where she stayed. Strangely, though, at her last known stay at the Hotel Hordeheim in Bergen, her handwriting was a bit different. It's written almost as if the writer is trying to disguise their hand. In interviewing hotel staff, police found that the woman frequently changed rooms during her stays and was heard speaking German, Flemish, and English. Now, another piece of the investigation was an examination made of the Eistall woman's teeth by Giselle Bang dentistry professor. Dr. Bang, which, you know, is also what I call my hug, mm -hmm. noted that the Eistall woman's teeth were covered in fillings and gold crowns. Ten teeth of gold crowns. She had a friggin' grill, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she did. <laughs> now, based on the dental work, Dr. Bang <laughs> concluded that I will never get tired of saying that guy's name. <laughs> Dr. Bang concluded that it was likely done in southern or central Europe, maybe in Asia. The exact location was not definitively determined. Dr. Bang also determined that the Eistall woman's age was likely above 25. Most likely she was in her 30s, but could have been on the younger side, say, you know, like 29-ish. This analysis actually kind of matches with the dates of birth listed on the hotel registration cards, which suggested her age was 25 or 27-ish. By this point, the Bergen police had conducted a thorough investigation, but did not seem to be able to make a solid determination regarding who the Eistall woman was. Though he vowed only days before to keep the case open until her identity was discovered, Bergen police chief Osbjorn Brin abruptly closed the investigation shortly before Christmas in 1970, on December 22nd. He said the official cause of death was suicide, 
and that the Eistall woman was suffering from some kind of mania, maybe even paranoia. Then, on February 5th, 1971, the Eistall woman was given a Catholic funeral. The police guessed that she was Catholic because she incorporated the names of saints into her false names when staying at hotels. The funeral was provided over by priest Franz Josef Fischedick, which is what I call my hog. <laughs> priest Franz Josef Fischedick. That's what I call it, Art. My hog. Yep. Doct- hey, Dr. Bang... Dr. Bang and Priest and uh, and the Fish Dick is a uh, indie comic. I'm yeah, yeah, I can't wait to read that one. Um, so the funeral was provided over, presided over by Priest Franz Joseph Fishy Dick. Um, and the only attendees at the funeral were 16 of Bergen's police officers. Though no family attended the funeral, the Eistall woman was buried in a zinc coffin, which would not decompose in case her remains were ever claimed. The ceremony was also photographed for next of kin if they were ever discovered. The Eistall woman is buried in a Bergen cemetery in an unmarked grave, which is now hidden underneath a rhododendron bush. An honest-to-goodness end for a mystery woman who seemed to be anything other than honest. Though the uh, the mystery of the Eistall woman captivated the country of Norway and even garnered international attention... Um, when the Bergen police closed their investigation, you know, popular interest kind of waned. That didn't mean, however, that clues stopped being found. One key question in this case is what happened after the Eistall woman left Hotel Hordeheimen on November 23rd, 1970. Remember, she got into that taxi, right, after checking out, and then her whereabouts thereafter are unknown. In 1991, an anonymous taxi driver came forward claiming to be the driver who picked up the woman from the hotel that day. He said that he took the Eistall woman to the train station in Bergen. Now, this makes sense, given that the police know she checked her luggage at the train station that day as well. But the cab driver added a new wrinkle also. He said that before dropping the Eistall woman at the train station... An unidentified man also got into the cab with her. Ooh, a new wrinkle on this pruny mystery that's been in the tub for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> uh, this lead, uh, like so many, though, did not make the picture any clearer. Police did not know who the man was, and, and nobody claim, came forward claiming to be that man. Another mystery in a mystery, like a pulsa in a lompa. Then, in 2005... A Bergen resident who was 26 in 1970 told a newspaper that uh, at the time, after seeing the police sketches uh, published after the body was found, he thought he had seen the Eistall woman five days before her body was discovered hiking on Fluyen, one of the other seven mountains around Bergen. The man said the woman was dressed too lightly for a hike up the mountainside. He said she looked more like she was dressed for a day in the city. He also described her as looking scared. Trailing behind the woman a little way, he saw two men walking, which he described as looking, quote, southern uh, and having blank expressions. While the three were not together per se, the man had a feeling that they were connected or, or knew each other. The man distinctly remembers that the encounter happened on a Sunday. The Eistall woman's body was also found on a Sunday. The man said he went to police with his story, but was told by authorities to forget it. Now... This is a pretty interesting story. 
there has been speculation in the time since the man went public with his claims that the people he saw trailing the Eistall woman that day could be connected to her death. It's not totally clear, though. For one, the man said he had this encounter on Fluyen, yet the body was found on Ulrichen. He also says this happened on a Sunday afternoon. The woman's body was found on a Sunday morning. Um, this doesn't necessarily disprove his story, but it, it couldn't have been a Sunday and also five days before the body was discovered. For what it's worth, the man said he believed the group was up to no good on Fluyen and that his chance encounter may have deterred the two men from going through with whatever they had planned that alarmed the Eistall woman. In 2016, Norwegian public broadcaster NRK uh, began working with Norwegian police to reopen the case and try to identify the Eistall woman. Since getting involved, authorities and the NRK have uncovered a number of new clues to this mystery. For starters, NRK commissioned an artist to make a new, new, some new sketches of the Eistall woman to supplement the police sketches made in 1970. And let me tell you, these friggin' drawings are friggin' hot. Schwing, baby! Wow. Schwing! She's a babe! <laughs> wow. Party on, Party Carl. on, Art. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess she's kinda hot. My name is Garth. That's my Garth impression. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> We're not worthy of that impression. Yeah, we'll leave it to Dana. We'll leave it to Dana, Garby. <laughs> <laughs> man Andy I tell you what though this lady is beautiful to look at but she is pungent up close ooh that's what keeps me coming back you missed a whole and, you missed a whole uh, important <laughs> section there oh I jumped ahead <laughs> I'm just so tantalized anyway uh, it's me Wayne <laughs> party on Garth yeah <laughs> So, okay, we talked about those hot drawings. Additionally, the Eistall woman's teeth and tissue samples, including her heart, lungs, ovaries, and adrenal glands, were re-examined, all of which were thought to be lost or destroyed. Everyone thought the police had gotten rid of her tissue samples. After Dr. Bang, the dental professor who uh, examined her teeth, passed away in 2011, it was believed that the Eistall woman's teeth were thrown away because they friggin' smelled bad. Man, Andy, I tell you what, this lady is beautiful to look at, but she is pungent up close. Yeah, like a flower. That's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. <laughs> at any rate, Andy, the teeth and tissues were found in the forensic archives at Hoekland. Or Hokeyland. Hokeland? Hokeland. Yeah. Hokeland. Hokeyland. Hokeyland. <laughs> oh, God, I'm losing it, bungfungers. Hokeland Hospital in Bergen. A modern dentist re-examined yeah but your name's not dr bang right re-examined the iced all woman's teeth and determined that the dental work was probably done in germany poland some other part of eastern europe or possibly the middle east <laughs> so this uh this kind of pretty much agreed with dr bang's assessment the dentist does not believe that the extensive gold work could have been done in scandinavia or england Modern x-ray analysis of the Eistall woman's teeth also agreed generally with Dr. Bang's estimate of her age, late 20s, early 30s. Now, Kripos, which is uh, a special agency of the Norwegian police service. So kind of think of this like a uh, specialized agency of the Norwegian FBI. They, uh, focus in, they focus on technical and tactical investigation and organized crime. 
Kripos took three of the ice doll woman's teeth to the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, so the teeth could undergo C14 carbon dating and amino acid testing. This is really cool. The carbon dating technique would estimate the ice doll woman's age while the amino acid testing estimates her age at death. It's cool, but we're no friggin' eggheads. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get in like too deep into this, but we're going to tell you why it's cool. Basically, C4 testing measures the amount of C4 isotope in an object. Once open air nuclear tests started on this planet, the amount of C4 in people's bodies rose dramatically. I mean, you learn something new every day here, bunkfuckers. So since teeth form early in life, generally, you can kind of use this to measure, you know, to get an approximate idea of their age. You don't have to be too much of an egghead to get the basic idea for that one, right? So this amino acid dating, though, this is like... This is like, it's just like uh, egghead black tar heroin. This is pure <laughs> egghead shit. Yeah. I'll bet eggheads use the amino acid dating app to find love because it's uh, too hard. Otherwise, you know what I'm saying? Roasted. Got him. Fucking roasted, dude. Don't forget we're Chad. Yeah. The idea uh, behind it is that amino acid molecules change over time. So you can look at the molecules. You can kind of figure out how old they were when they died. So we may not really understand them, but there's one thing Andy and I do understand and get often. Results. And these results were about as juicy as my loins after hearing those witness descriptions of the ice doll woman. Oh, boy. (laughs) You're learning a lot about my character tonight here, Bone Yeah, we are. (laughs) The C4 test showed that all of the teeth examined had a base level of C14. Now, that means all the teeth examined were formed before open-air nuclear tests began in the 1940s. The amino acid testing showed that the ice doll woman was approximately 45 years old at the time of her death. All this together really means is that we're much more likely, it's much more likely that she was born in the 1920s than the 1940s. Remember, a 1940s birth date matched other estimates and even agreed with the hotel registration cards that the woman filled out. Oh, this was a friggin' bombshell in the investigation, Andy. Almost as big of a bombshell as the ice doll woman herself. Humana, humana, humana. You better knock it off, you lusty critter. Don't make me get the Sprite bottle. We'll get you. <clears throat> now, in addition to all these tests... Her teeth were also subjected to isotope testing to figure out where she grew up or had lived. Uh, warning, more egghead shit egghead. I mean, ahead. Isotope testing identifies the isotopic signature, which is the amount of isotopes and elements that collect in the body, like teeth, for example, and can possibly tell where a person lived based on the different abundances or ratios of the isotopes identified. This testing determined that the Eistall woman was likely born uh, somewhere in the area of Nuremberg, Germany. This testing also showed evidence that she moved between her childhood and teen years, possibly to France or somewhere near the France-Germany border. 
Uh, for some historical context here, if the Eistall woman was born in the 1920s in or near Nuremberg, she would have been at the epicenter of the rise of Hitler's Nazi movement. Annual Nazi jamborees were held in Nuremberg in 1923 and from 1927 to 1938. The NRK team investigated the possibility that the Eistall woman was Jewish and that she and or her family fled Nazi Germany, but they did not find conclusive evidence. For some additional historical context on why this is a reasonable guess, it was not unusual for the children of Jewish families to be shipped away from Nazi influence. In the 1920s, up to 10,000 children from Germany and elsewhere in Europe were shipped to England via the kinder transport, whereas non-Jewish children were would probably also have been evacuated, but later, after the bombing in Germany started, and likely would have been sent to other parts of the country. The isotope analysis does actually show a hotspot in Wales, though it's generally not believed that the Eistall woman lived in England for any, uh, or Wales, I guess, for any appreciable amount of time since most witnesses noticed her poor English skills. But hey, let's be honest here. Have you ever listened to Welsh people? Oh, roast him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, come yeah. on. Go home and cry to your sheep wives. <laughs> Got him. I can say that because I have a couple Welsh yeah. friends. Great people. We are such chads. Anyway. Yeah, we're chads. We're chads. Um, Andy, time for my favorite part of any unsolved mystery, the DNA. Mm-hmm. You love it. You know I Can't do. Enough. While DNA testing was not available to police in 1970, having the Eistall woman's tissue samples allowed for modern analysis to be done. According to the testing done at uh, Innsbruck in uh, Austria, uh, the woman was of European descent, possibly North American. The woman's uh, DNA composition was set uh, was sent to D- the International Police Organization, or Interpol. This allows other international police forces to compare the Eistall woman's DNA profile against other profiles in their databases, possibly leading to a match or another clue. Kripos also performed handwriting analysis. Uh, The Kripos expert determined that the woman's writing was not Norwegian, since the shape of the letters did not match the way handwriting is taught in Norwegian schools. Kripos contacted handwriting experts in other countries and... The other experts independently suggested that the woman was educated in France. This was also suggested by two separate labs that analyzed her handwriting. Kripos then sent handwriting samples away to a French lab, and this lab agreed that the handwriting was similar to that taught in French schools. The lab sent some French samples back to Kripos, which were similar to the Eastall woman's handwriting. Given the results of the teeth testing, it seems possible that the Eistall woman was born near Nuremberg, then moved westward in her youth, possibly to the French-German border area, maybe even being educated in a French-centric part of Belgium, uh, which maybe explains why she claimed to be Belgian and has been reported as speaking Flemish. All right. We have all this information from eggheads about this woman, but what about information from non-egghead chads like us. Well, like your childhood blinky, we got you covered, bunk funkers. NRK interviewed lots of eyewitnesses as part of their investigation. They tracked down people who worked in hotels and stores the Eistall woman visited. As we mentioned, she stayed at the uh, Neptune Hotel in Bergen from October 30th to the 5th of November in 1970. Now here's what the staff 
there had to say about her. That she, they, they said she was quiet and serious. They said that she didn't say much, but when she did, she mostly spoke German. Uh, when she went to use the bathroom, which in this hotel, it was a community community toilet down the hall um, rather than in the room. She would wear a turquoise bathrobe, which in my mind at least was open just enough to drive you wild. Boing. Hey, is this the fucking Shrek 2 soundtrack? Because I'm accidentally in love. Okay. okay. FYI, bunk funkers, it is not clear if the community toilet was open faced in this hotel like it is in our bunker. Yeah, not the, we don't have those details. We don't have those details. When she left the hotel, she was well dressed in a long coat, scarf, and a leather hat. Uh, when she took a table that was uh, under a window in the room and she turned it upside down and then put it in the hallway near the door and. And, and when I say hallway here, I mean the little hallway inside her room. She turned the table upside down and put it near the door on the inside. Now, one night during her stay, she had dinner at the hotel with a man. The man had gray hair and could have been Norwegian. We don't know. During dinner, the two did not have a conversation. They just ate dinner. The man was reading the newspaper while they ate. The staff didn't feel like this dinner was romantic. It seemed more like a meeting. Despite this interesting testimony about her dinner with this unknown man, and despite it being reported to police at the time, none of this information made its way into any police reports. Uh, Speaking of eyewitness statements that didn't make it into police reports, the Eistall woman apparently also visited a furniture store in Bergen. The clerk at the store remembered her visit. She was there with a man. It's not clear if if it was the same man with whom she had dinner at the Neptune Hotel. The clerk said the couple were there to buy a wall-hanging mirror, which was described by the clerk as a cheap mirror. Um, So for you bunk funkers out there, be careful if you shop at this store, because this clerk will definitely be judging your mirror choice. (laughs) The clerk said that both the the Eistall woman and her companion were not native Norwegians, they didn't speak English or German in the store and looked like they were Eastern European. Their relationship didn't appear friendly to the clerk. The two didn't smile at each other and seemed to be arguing while in the shop. As I alluded to, uh, the clerk gave this account to the police at the time, but it was not recorded in police records. The Eistall woman stayed one night overnight from the 18th to the 19th of November 1970 at the Hotel Rosencrantz in Bergen. Though she only stayed one night here, oh, she left an impression. A maid offered the following story about the Eistall woman. The maid entered the room to make the bed for the evening. Apparently, at this time, it was customary for maids to make the beds in the rooms before bedtime. When the maid came into the room... There were women eating on the bed and a man sitting on a couch. The maid apologized for not knocking first, then asked to make the bed. The woman allowed the maid to make the bed, which the maid then did, and then left. While the maid was in the room, nobody said a word. The maid described the Eistall woman as looking sorrowful, like she was grieving. The man was described as being in his mid-twenties. He was well-built. He was blonde hair. He was wearing a gray colored suit. This is one sexy fuckable guy. 
You are. I mean, despite that, though, this was yet another police. This was yet another lead that police did not investigate. As we mentioned, the Eistall woman only spent one night at the Hotel Neptune. The next day, she moved across the bay in Bergen and checked into the Hotel Hordeheimen, which is where her last known stay. Interestingly, maybe she used the same name at both hotel stays. Elizabeth Leenhofer. Clearly, during her last days alive, the Eistall woman was spotted with at least one man. It's hard to know if it was only one man, though, because witness descriptions of men she was with varied. Perhaps, strangely, no men came forward after her death to speak with police. This man, or these men, continue to be unknown, at least unknown to the public. Here's a note for our loyal bunk funkers. The NRK team also looked into the case of the Somerton man, a.k.a. the Tomum Should case, which uh, we've also covered previously. The NRK team did not find a solid connection between the two incidents, despite the obviously uncanny similarities. Okay, there it is. Now, that's what we know about the Eistall woman. There's a lot of information, and yet we're not really any closer to understanding her. Naturally, there have been quite a few ideas put forward about what this woman was up to. Uh, We're going to dig into uh, the most prominent of these now. First and foremost, a lot of people suspect the Eistall woman might have been a spy. Suspicions of espionage persisted, even though a couple of weeks into the investigation in 1970, Bergen's police chief said, quote, we have no proof of that. No, we can safely say I'd go further to say we've completely eliminated that possibility, end quote. Uh, But Norway, like a lot of the world, was a target of Cold War espionage activity. Let's not forget, Norway does share a land border with Russia. After the USSR's invasion and capture of Czechoslovakia in 1968, Soviet ships began showing up off the coast of Norway, which was one of the founding members of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, which is a Western nation military alliance. At the time, Bergen was home to the largest Norwegian naval base and hosted lots of NATO exercises. Bergen was basically continually being observed by Soviet submarines and other vessels. The Soviets even sent subs into the fjords! And the Soviet arts sent subs into arts tummies. They also sent blimpies. I heard my arm eating a big old sandwich and had to have Jimmy John's surgery. I get no respect. Hey, I saw an ENT. And they kept asking about my schnoz. It was a real quiz nose. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy, I tell you what, I tell you what. But, hey, my cousins don't call me Mr. Submarine for nothing. They sure don't. Well, remember to tip your wait staff. I'll be here every week. Every, Ooh, every week. No. <laughs> every week. <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> anyway, in addition to Soviet spies, Norway also has a history with Mossad agents. Now, Mossad is a an Israeli intelligence agency, and the intersection between Mossad and Norway became very clear in 1973 when Mossad agents assassinated a Moroccan waiter in Lillehammer, Norway. I believe this was also the subject of one of Netflix's earliest original series, Lillehammer? Hmm. Maybe. Eh, I think so. Okay. Maybe not. I don't know. Google it. 
The waiter was mistaken for the chief of operations for Black September, a Palestinian militant group. The killing was in retaliation for the Black September attack on the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, Germany, where 11 Israeli athletes were murdered. After the Munich attack, the Israeli government launched what was basically a covert assassination campaign called Operation Wrath of God, which honestly is a pretty friggin' cool name for an operation. Yeah. Gotta get the Lilyhammer assassination was part of Operation Wrath of God. Phew. Got all that, bunk funkers? Well, after the Lilyhammer murder, six Mossad agents were arrested by Norwegian authorities. Eventually, five of the agents were convicted of murder and put in jail in Norway, though they were released back to Israel in 1975. Clearly, Norway was a hotbed of espionage uh, at the time of the Eistel woman's involvement there. One interesting piece of information about the case that was not known publicly in the in the 70s, but is known today, is that Norwegian intelligence agents investigated the Eistel woman's death in 1970. In fact, Norwegian intelligence denied being involved in the investigation entirely until 2002. So here's what happened. One week after her body was found, Ornulf Tofta and Bjorn Longbaka from the Norwegian Police Security Service began an investigation into the Eistall woman. The Norwegian Police Security Service is, is similar to the UK's MI5, uh, for reference. Tofta says he was called by the Bergen police chief, uh, again, that's Osbjorn Brynn, uh, due to a possible spying connection. Interesting note about police chief Brynn. From 1957 to 1966, he was the head of the police security service. He left this post uh, after he arrested the secretary of the director of the Norwegian intelligence service. The secretary was then charged with being a Soviet spy. So if anybody could spot a spying connection, it seems like Bryn could. And if anybody could spot it better, it's probably Ornulf Tofta, who was Norway's most famous Cold War spy catcher. After the investigation, Tofta and Longbaka determined that the Eistall woman's death was accidental. They said, based on descriptions and eyewitness accounts, the woman always had hairspray in her hair and always must have carried hairspray with her. Since there was no evidence of a bottle of hairspray at the site of her death, it might have exploded and ignited her hair. According to Tofta, burning someone was not typical of an espionage-related murder. Tofta also says they found no evidence she was involved in espionage, but maybe she really was involved in espionage and they just didn't find evidence. That said, Tofta also said that he did not review the woman's multiple identities or passports during his investigation. He found out about them later through the media. Tofta and Longbaka were also not notified by the Bergen police about the suitcases found at the train station, so these also were not investigated. Nevertheless, Tofta does not believe that spies would use as many IDs as the Eistall woman used. Tofta says spies only use one or two identities, maybe. There are others, too, who aren't convinced that the Eistall woman was a spy. Alexander Vasilyev. 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 There you go. Vasilyev. Vasilyev. Alexander Vasilyev. Yeah. A trained KGB spy says that the Eistall woman was probably not a Soviet agent. According to Vasiliev, 
a uh, oh boy, that fucker's name. <laughs> Uh, Vasiliev, uh, cutting the labels off your clothes doesn't make sense. A real spy would either be wearing clothes from Belgium since she claimed to be Belgian, or she could have worn clothes from Norway since that's where she was. Vasiliev, uh, also thinks the woman used too many false names to be a Soviet spy. Soviet agents would have substantial, uh, documentary evidence to support their identities. These documents are difficult to fake because, well, you have to find a deceased person who was born or about the same time as you so you can assume their identity. Vasiliev also finds the Eistall woman's reported aroma to be unusual. According to him, a Soviet spy would, well, not smell of garlic, but rather Chanel Number 5. Also, there weren't many female Soviet spies during that time. Ultimately, Vasiliev thinks that the Eistall woman was a spy. <laughs> I know we just listed a bunch of things that said she wasn't. <laughs> he thinks she was a spy, but just not a Soviet spy. He is not sure for whom she was spying. Well, if she wasn't working for the Soviets, maybe she was working for Mossad. Stephen Dorrell, uh, an intelligence expert, certainly thinks that's a possibility. He says that Mossad was known to be infiltrating groups like the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or PLO, in the late 60s, early 70s, with agents using multiple identities. According to Dorrell, Mossad agents used passports extensively. If the Eistall woman's passports were known, it might shed a lot of light on this possible connection. Doral speculates that the Eistall woman could have been Jewish and might have been a post-World War II refugee who got connected with Mossad. Uh, if she truly was displaced by Nazis from Nuremberg as a child, she would have been well-suited to espionage. Her past may have been ill-defined and difficult to uncover, so it may have been easier to create multiple identities for her without fear of anyone finding out. Uh, and not, you know, not to sound too grim here, but it's also possible that she was the sole survivor of her family after the Holocaust, which uh, also would make her a good candidate for espionage work. Mossad was was known uh, to employ more female agents than other spy agencies. Perhaps the Eistall woman was in Norway tracking PLO members or just general Palestine, Palestine supporters. Maybe she was hunting former Nazis uh, and or war criminals. It's worth mentioning, though, that in 2018, a Danish woman who grew up in Bergen claimed that her grandfather was a police officer working on the Eistall woman case. The woman says that the Bergen police discovered a link between the Eistall woman and Israel, and that's the reason the investigation was shut down so quickly. That said, there's no proof that this woman's claim is accurate. Even though it's interesting, we don't really know. One thing we do know is that now declassified... Norwegian national defense records reveal that the Eistall woman's movements corresponded with secret trials of the Norwegian Penguin missile system. That's right. The Penguin is a guided anti-ship missile system. It was designed as a lightweight system that could be installed on smaller Navy vessels. Norway was actually a pioneer in the development of guided missile systems, and the Penguin was unique for its time. So it's no wonder it got attention from those pesky Soviets. During firing tests, Russian fishing boats frequently had their engines stall near the firing range. It was understood that these vessels were observing the test, measuring the telemetry 
or the uh, and 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 gathering all the information they could. Uh, in one instance, the Penguin designer says that during a test, a large Soviet cruiser <laughs> stopped right outside the firing range. Look, subtlety is not the Soviet forte. Uh, maybe that's true for the Eistall woman as well, if she was indeed working for the Soviets. A fisherman by the name of Burton Rott from the Norwegian town of Tananger uh, claimed he saw the Eistall woman observing penguin tests in Savanger, which is nearby. Like so many people, Rott went to authorities with his story. He had seen the media coverage, including artist sketches in the newspaper, so he reached out to tell what he had seen. And like so many people... Documents recording his interrogation by police are missing. Burton has since passed away, but his son is still alive and willing to provide additional details. Roth the Younger says that his father saw the Eistall woman walking, talking to a naval officer for a while. He wasn't sure to which navy the officer belonged. It, it could have been Norway or maybe another NATO country. Roth thought that possibly the naval officer was an accomplice of the Eistall woman. Roth the Younger uh, then says that his father, after talking to police, was unexpectedly visited by two police officers. Rot and his family were at a train station in Stavanger on their way to London for the holidays. Rot's father went with the police officers privately for 15 to 20 minutes. As the family found out later, while he was with the officers, Rot was given a knife and a handgun to use for protection while traveling. A former Norwegian crime reporter Knut Horvik believed the officers who visited Rot were from the Norwegian secret police. Now, speaking of Knut Horvik, in the 1970s, he obtained all the Eistall woman's case files through the chief police commissioner in Oslo. Um, amongst the files, he found an envelope containing a cassette tape. Hey, you remember those, huh? Oh, do I ever. I still got a lot of my classics. If I fire up the cassette player, you're going to boogie. All of Andy's boner jams. (laughs) The evidence had a warning on the outside of the envelope that said, quote, this envelope can only be opened by permission of the chief of secret police. Knut believed that the tape was a recorded phone conversation that related to the case. But he doesn't know for sure, because the guy never friggin' opened it, lest he risk his sources within law enforcement community. Oh, sweet Knoble Canute. <laughs> he always does what envelopes told him to do. Yeah, so true. <laughs> Jeez, Canute, it couldn't just accidentally have fallen out during transport and you listened to it without seeing the envelope? I mean, come on. It's really too bad that he didn't listen to the tape or something because... Today, nobody knows where that tape is, and there's no record of its contents anywhere. In fact, when NRK began to investigate the Eistall woman case, no such tape was included in any of the documents the team team obtained. It's also possible that maybe the Eistall woman wasn't a spy herself, but was working for or with spies. Alexander Vasiliev, you remember him, Bunkfunkers. He's the uh, KGB-trained intelligence agent who does not believe the Eistall woman was a Soviet spy. Alexander Vasiliev suggests that maybe the Eistall woman was something more like a courier, passing information between spies in different parts of the country or different countries altogether. Vasiliev thinks it's possible that the woman worked for an espionage ring gathering information about the Penguin missile tests, and that possibly this ring involved Norwegian officials. Vasiliev finds it possible that 
While the Eistall woman was delivering information between parties, she somehow screwed up and got in big trouble. So much trouble that she was burned to death and her murder covered up due to the involvement of the aforementioned Norwegian officials. Now, uh, a murder, you say. That's right, a murder. Uh, But, uh, hey, the official cause of death was determined to be a suicide. So, uh, what gives, dude? Well, Art, that official stance is pretty disputed. As we've already said, the investigation was suddenly shut down by the Bergen police chief, Asbjörn Brynn, in late December, back in 63. What a very special time for me. As I remember, what a night. Uh, I think what Andy's trying to say is that the Bergen police chief stopped the investigation in late December 1970 after only three weeks of investigation. Remember, Bryn shut it down just days after he said the case would remain open until the Eistall woman's identity was found. So, it seemed kind of fishy to some people, and that's saying a lot in Norway. A lot of fish there already. Oh, yeah. Kripos chemist Tormund Buns was a uh, was in attendance at the Eistall woman's autopsy and had this to say during a recent interview. Quote, Now, as then, I'm in doubt uh, when it comes to what really happened on the site and how the fire developed. It is difficult to be 100% sure. All in all, I support the 1970 report, but there is considerable uncertainty and it is impossible to rule out that this was either a homicide or an accident. End quote. I don't know if that's a good Norwegian accent, but I, I gave it a little... Yeah. Now, personally, Andy, I think the real conspiracy is that there hasn't... We, we haven't seen a Norwegian spinoff of the hit show Bones based on the life and time of Tormund Buns. Can you imagine the sexual tension between Tormund Buns and David Boreanaz? I'm getting a boner in as just thinking about it. God. Woo! Auga! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now you got me doing it. Um, but if this was a suicide, it really does raise some questions. How did the Eistall woman who doesn't seem to be a native Norwegian, let alone familiar with the terrain around Bergen specifically, managed to find this remote spot on Urican to kill herself. Why go to all the trouble of hiking that distance just to ingest a bunch of sleeping pills? And why start a fire? And how start a fire? And who start a fire? <laughs> sure, petrol was found, but there was no fuel containers or anything. How does that make sense? Another suicide doubter is former Bergen police attorney Karl Halver Oss. In fact, Karl Halver basically says that nobody in the Bergen police department really believed the Eistall woman committed suicide. Is it possible that the police force in Bergen was pressured to shut down and or cover up the true identity of the Eistall woman and or her cause of death? For what it's worth, Stephen Dorrell suggests that perhaps the Eistall woman was in fact connected to espionage and committed suicide because of the pressures of working in the field, or maybe because of the loneliness of spy life. Perhaps the Eistall woman grew tired of the endless travel and endless lying to people and saw no other way out. But even then, this doesn't negate the questions already raised about the possibility of a suicide. 
Another contested hypothesis about the death of the Eistall woman is that it was accidental. Obviously, we know that the Norwegian Police Security Service agents who investigated felt that it was an accident. They thought the Eistall woman was carrying a big old can of hairspray that she dropped into a fire and that it exploded. But if that's the case, why was there petrol at the scene? There's not real evidence of an explosion at the site or evidence of a bottle of hairspray. Some people have also suggested that maybe the woman was on the cliffside, for what reason, we who knows, and that she started a fire again, who knows why, and that she fell into the flames for some reason and jumped backwards and fell down the cliff. Uh, I mean, she went, essentially, you could, one could say she went through the fire and flames. Yeah. I mean... It's quite a story, but the police reports don't mention any separate fire, even though some investigators have mentioned a bonfire or something similar. All the police reports just say that the Eistall woman was burned. So if there's doubt about a suicide and doubt about an accident, I guess that leaves us thinking this might be a murder. As we've just mentioned, nobody really knows how the fire that burned the Eistall woman's body started. The hairspray hypothesis is really the only idea put forward, and that's kind of shaky. Uh, When the police started investigating the death, they pursued it as a murder investigation. But, of course, as we know, the investigation ended December 22, 1970, with the proclamation that the death was a suicide and in no way connected to espionage. Well, the day after that happened, after that announcement was made, that was the day that Burton Rott was visited at the train station by police and given a gun and a knife for protection during his travels. If this was truly a suicide, truly not connected to espionage, why would Rot have needed protection at all? Why indeed, Andy. Knut Horvick sure thought it was a friggin' murder. Now here's what Knut thought about the case. First, that the Eistall woman wouldn't have stayed in the fire if she was alive when burned. Knut believed that she was already dead and then someone burned her. Second, he believes the woman was forced to take the pills found in her system. Now, Knut, he does admit that it would be hard to force someone to take as many pills as she ingested, especially over multiple doses. All that said, Stefan Dorrell says that there are instances of barbiturates being stuffed down the throats of other murder victims. So a homicide in this case is not out of the question. Third, Knut believes that the Bergen PD was ordered to declare the case was a suicide and not connected to espionage due to international interest in the case. Knut believed that this was likely ordered by the Norwegian secret police or Ministry of Justice. Now, aside from Knut's canalysis, uh, (laughs) there are other signs that might indicate a murder, like the bruise on on the Eistall woman's neck that was never really definitively explained. Also, she was seen throughout Norway with male companions. Is it possible that, well, the Eistall woman was involved in a love interest in Norway? Is it possible that this lover was who murdered her? If you remember, none of the the men with whom she was seen have ever come forward to police to tell their story. So this all remains a big unknown piece of the puzzle, baby. Overall... This is a classic case where every clue seems to just turn up more questions. Even after everything we've reviewed, I'm not sure we're any closer to really knowing who the Eistall woman was, what she was up to, 
and why or how she met her gruesome end. In the decades since the grisly discovery, attempts to answer these questions have run the gamut. From the ideas we've already discussed to even more possibilities, was the Eistall woman part of a criminal organization? Was she an art thief smuggling artwork in the frame for the mirror she purchased at in Bergen? Was she a prostitute buying erotic undies through the mail from Beda Usha? These questions persist and the mystery remains. One day, maybe the thick Norwegian rain clouds covering up the truth will disappear and the sun will shine on the solution to this baffling case. Hey, welcome back, Bunkfunkers. That was our research of the Ice Doll Woman case. The unsolved mysteries keep on stacking up. Boy, howdy. Uh, You said it. We got a big old stack. We got a big old stack. Quite a stack here. This this case is stacked. Woo! You know what? I think we got to talk right off the top here. Whether or not they covered it or whether or not they they closed the case when they said it should have been opened i do think that goddamn you gotta hand it to the nords man they fucking did it right they kept all the organs and tissues fucking put her in a zinc coffin (laughs) you know like any any other case that we've ever looked at it's like ah oopsie poopsie i threw it out there's there's some incompetence in this one ah oh, boy yeah there's a little bit there's I mean, a little bit i sure. mean it seems but, more like luck that they found this stuff at hokeland than it was by design i mean uh, i mean you know yeah okay. it's like it's like but still they they put it it ended up there it ended up in the place it probably should have gone but it kind of doesn't seem like that was on purpose necessarily you know what i mean but i guess you know, yeah. probably if this was like the United States, what all that stuff would have just it would have been in in the trash, right? Like none of this would exist anymore. Yeah, there would yeah. be no this oh, wouldn't be in the archives yeah. anywhere. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right in the fucking dumpster. <laughs> it's like uh what? It's like stuff that had to do like our evidence in RFK's assassination got like thrown, oh, yeah. shot up by police <laughs> and thrown out. It's like of course <laughs> For an unknown they, person. They fucking shot the gun, the murder yeah. weapon, multiple times to the point where what, it, like, it didn't fire straight Ruined anymore. If, if this was... They're just like, ah, whatever. If U.S. police had an unknown person, it's like, the two, I mean, 40, 50 years later, nah, none of that stuff exists. So I, I'll agree with you, Art. That must not have mattered. Good job to the Norwegians, because somebody uh, was doing their job. Yeah, I mean, it was kept somewhere. I mean, maybe, you know, at the very least, we got to... I mean, even you look at the t- at the Summerton Man case, and it was like a fucking ordeal just to get that dude exhumed. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't do it for the longest time, and then now it's like, oh... Yeah, like, that was their only option you know. in that case, was to do an exhumation. Like, yeah. in this one, they didn't even have to mess with her body. I mean, her grave is still unmarked. It's just there in, in the cemetery in Bergen, and... Um, you know, with Somerton man, there's no, you can't get additional clues until you like actually dig him up. Check out his hot little bones. <laughs> um, his calves are still there. They haven't decomposed it. They, they have a half life. Oh, that's right. He was in, he, he was embalmed. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that doesn't stop decomposing. No. Wait, you were making a yeah, joke. Yeah, I was making a joke because of his muscular calves. Oh, okay. All right, they're so, so muscular, muscular they have a half-life. Right. They have like a half-life of like a thousand years. Right. Uh, woo! Lot of woo! Lot of so much stuff. A lot here of wrinkles. Woo. Lot of wrinkles. Lot of we we have a whole hey, we have a whole smorgasbord in front of us. I know that's wow, Swedish, yeah. but uh, yeah, still all smorgasbord yeah. of stuff. Can we just? I I don't even know where to start. Let's start here. What was on that friggin' tape? <laughs> Damn you, Goody Two Shoes Canute. <laughs> You effing egghead nerd. I want a canut to that tape. <laughs> Why wouldn't you look at that tape? Canute Horvick, what he said is that if he opened that tape, because he because he got this information like through the chief police commissioner in Oslo, if he had listened to that tape and they found out that he listened to it, he was absolutely certain that he would lose all his sources in like the central police agencies which he had good sources he had like the best sources he was he was a very well known crime reporter um and he was afraid that if he listened to that tape without permission that he would lose all those sources and then lose his livelihood so i get his motivation but yeah i mean yeah you know it's just like any other journalist, if they were like, oh, well, this is, I'm not supposed to do this, so forget it. The tape accidentally fell out of the envelope. <laughs> They'll forgive you. Yeah. Come on, Canute. Canute. Newt, Newt. Yeah, I mean, he did, he did say he kind of uh, wished he listened to it, though. Yeah, well. You and everybody else. You and all the bunk uh, Canute, unfortunately, Canute. passed away last year, Art. I hate to break that news to you. R.I.P. Canute. R.I.P. Canute. R.I.P. He's in heaven now, not listening to tapes and envelopes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus is sending him so many tapes and he refuses to listen to them. Because he said, do not open until Christmas. Parentheses, yep. my birthday. <laughs> um well Andy I think there's I guess two diverging paths and then one of those paths diverges even further in this one wow, so we I got think already frost here bunk funkers yeah 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 the uh, that poem uh, <laughs> uh um you either think it's a suicide and that she wasn't a spy or you think it's a spy and then it diverges to still suicide or murder. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, does anybody really believe that it was accidental? I don't think so, right? Accidental. Like, it just doesn't... Oh, I guess there's also accidental. I don't know. So three. I, I three mean, diverging could, paths. If if you, I mean, obviously, Ornold Tofta thought it was accidental, which, I mean, is like, yeah. I don't know about this. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff for an accident. I mean, a lot of stuff. I mean, this is like a Rube Goldberg's machine of you dying in this accident. Like, yeah. that you have a mysterious fire that started. You fell into the fire. You, you, for some reason, brought yeah. a can of hairspray with you up to a mountainside. You 
through a mysterious fire, you drop the hairspray into it. It blows up. It ignites your hair. And then you catch on fire and you backpedal and go, like you said, off the side of a cliff. And then your body is found amongst the rocks. And at the same time, at the same time, you you accidentally throw up in your left hand, the one that wasn't holding the hairspray can, you throw up 70 sleeping pills. Into the air, and as you're falling off the face of the cliff, they all accident fall right, right in your into mouth, your throat. Right in your mouth. <laughs> and then you land on your back. And, and in back. the other hand, you have one cream pie, and it flies up into the air, <laughs> and it lands directly on the face of the Norwegian prime minister while giving an important national address. Oh, boy. <laughs> You know, that's a fun never have I ever that I think we could beat out a lot of people with is I've been pied in the face. <laughs> How many people can say they've been pied in the face? Yeah, we had we were pied in the face for a lengthy amount of time. I was, were you? Yeah, I think so, right? We all got pie in the face. Uh Bunk Funkers. I think you got feel pied free in the to face check at it out. One Go point. look for Final Frontier twenty forty nine. Uh Oh, yeah, we did it in that, on too. YouTube and- I was thinking of the sketch oh, show. Oh, okay, well, that's not online. You can't check that out. Um, so Right, that was a long time ago. I definitely got hit in the... I got pied multiple right. times. I got hit in multiple times. Let me tell you this. If you can't get a a good shaving cream pie, that's the best pie to use, yeah, a shaving yeah. cream pie. Doesn't... Do not use a whipped cream pie. Whatever you do, never ever hit somebody with a whipped cream pie to the yeah, face. Yeah, it's uh, it's really it a is bad idea. The worst. The, see, it is the, the problem worst. with this bunk funkers is that the whipped cream gets too warm in the air, and so it starts to liquefy. Uh, and then after you get it on your face, everything is just reeks of dairy, and it's so hard to get that oh, smell man. out. So hard. It is. It's in your nostrils. It's everywhere. And it doesn't look good. It just looks like you got splashed with a bunch of milk. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd say second, go with an apple pie. You can't do shaving cream, go with <laughs> apple. We, we have done that. That did happen. Fruit and, pies. And then third is pumpkin, and then last is uh, whipped cream. Uh, where, where do you think that meat pies fit in on this uh, scale? Oh, very, very low. very low. I don't ever want to get hit with a shepherd's uh, pie. <laughs> shepherd's pie. I was thinking more like mincemeat, but shepherd's pie is a fun one. What a waste of a perfectly good Hey, mince. Justin, if you could uh, synthesize this into a bunker scale, we might use it for some verdicts. Uh, the pie yeah, scale, maybe. if there's a pie-themed uh, thing we review. Um, you fucking ruined it. You ruined my pie. Oh, no. Now that, now that is a mash that deserves to go on top of my mince. You donkey. Parmesan. Where's the lamb sauce? Parmesan. In. <laughs> Parmesan. In. Pan. Hot. Oil. In. Onions. Cut. <laughs> Meat. Stirred. Tomato, pur- tomato puree. Added. White wine. Deglaze. <laughs> Parmesan. Mm. Me. Gordon. Ramsay. <laughs> Gordon. Ramsay. Hairspray in fire blow explode on face burn pills in mouth done pan hot fire hot fire hot 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 I'm imagining Gordon Ramsay as like a caveman he's like ooh fire hot 
<laughs> Dinosaur. Big. Tiger. Bad. <laughs> or Gordon, Gordon Ramsay is like... As like, I don't know, like a small child or something, and they're trying to like teach him different things. <laughs> they just, they show him a little picture of fire. He's like, fire, hot. <laughs> or like he was selected as the, uh, as like some delegate to uh, treat with extraterrestrials visiting <laughs> our planet. And they don't speak yeah. any English at all, obviously. And so. <laughs> Peace. Us. You. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay looks like he's constantly communicating with somebody who does not understand the language that he speaks. <laughs> yeah. Um. God damn. Where? You, I mean, blanket thoughts here, Andy. Where? Where, where, where are you? I mean, where are you? I'm leaning murder because I don't. I mean, you're thinking I'm murder. Thinking, I'm leaning murder. She wrote. I mean, we'll see. Murder. We'll, she wrote. We'll see for where you. the discussion takes me, but I'm leaning Mossad. Mm. I'm leaning murder. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of convincing conspiratory behavior here, Andy. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling And I gotta say I'm feeling like I'm ahead. feeling like the geography lines up. Like I mean, it might just be this um I don't know, that I want you know, like that this story is the more interesting one. Um but I'm just leaning toward all right, this is a young a, a Jewish person. Born in Nuremberg, 1920s, Nazism on the rise. She gets sent away uh, to another part of Europe, maybe Belgium. Her family completely decimated post-World War II uh, through connections, through whatever. She gets hooked up with Mossad and is in Norway, uh, maybe hunting like Nazis in Norway in the, in the 70s but something goes wrong and she gets murdered yeah that's where I'm leaning I mean that's that take is as convincing I think as some of the others but I mean um, there's just there's a lot let's maybe unpack you know like this seems a little over the top for suicide, don't we think? Uh, yeah, I have a hard time buying. Just if it was just sleeping pills, okay, fine. But how the like the setting yourself on fire and then take what do you like? Do you set yourself on fire first and then take the pills, or do you do you do you take a bunch of pills and then set yourself on fire? I mean, oh, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Classic Seinfeld. Only the front part was burnt, so it's not like she doused herself in gasoline, which I'm thinking like you know Buddhist monk protest style. Yeah, fire, fire. The fire to me doesn't doesn't feel like a suicide because of because of that reason. Plus, I mean, it's like the sleeping pills plus the fire. What like the sleep? That many sleeping pills would have done the trick, right? Like you ingested seven. And then why? Pills. Why hike out to the middle of fucking nowhere? That's the biggest. Way. Even if you're gonna set yourself on fire, I mean, I don't like this is a this is not a, you know, this is not a part of Oricon that's like easily walkable. You know, this is not for your 
this is not for a person like me. If I go to Norway, I'm not going up to Ice Valley on Ulrich and like, you know, you need you need to be have some skill to do this. Uh, it is not it is not for the faint of heart. This is a this is a tough hike. Yeah. This is not uh, uh, like this is not your lovely lo- fun little stroll up the L.A. mountainsides. This is. Um, this is uh yeah this is for like uh this is for big big peepee hikers yeah. big peepee Fluyen is like the uh the the mountain for the for the little peepee hikers but Urukin is yeah. not the same and you know it just Urukin's for Chad Yeah Urukin is the Chad mountain and Fluyen is the the Virgin mountain and you know yeah. it's like to to haul yourself up there just to commit suicide it's like you easily could have taken all those sleeping pills in the hotel room and that's the end of it I mean, unless you go down this path of saying, oh, maybe she didn't want to be found or whatever. I mean, sometimes people say that. Nobody's said that here as far as I know, but that, you know, I don't, I mean, there's no, we have no insight into that. So it's like just on its face, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say you're going to hike up Ulrican and do this. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess there's some kind of, I guess somewhat meaningfulness i guess because it was a place of death previously and so you could kind of say that but so she's building a fire or something let's say something blew fire and smoke in her face she falls okay whatever and then the pills that doesn't answer anything about the pills but then why are like the jewelry and the watches and the umbrella and all that stuff kind of placed near her and around her right they they found stuff like Never. Yeah, if she falls down the cliff, when who places the jewelry there? It falls right. off somehow. Uh there's one boot yeah. that came off that didn't get burned. Right. Why? How? Uh, I mean, it just accident just I mean, you know, for me accident is just so not where I feel this is it. Feel this happened. I'm just not. I mean, this is like the most morbid Benny Hill accident in the world yeah. or something. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it, there's just, it's so over the top that I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't buy yeah. it. That's, it's one of those explanations that's such a long walk to get there. Like this is longer than the hike yeah. from Bergen <laughs> to Eistalen. Uh, um, I think there's more here to digest than Summerton Man. Yeah, uh, I feel like Summerton Man had that whole interesting part about like who he was related to and how that dude from Abbott University was porking <laughs> his uh, granddaughter essentially, yeah. and you know, and, <laughs> and uh, we've got a lot more like data with her. Like, there's all this carbon dating and fucking amino acid testing and isotope data it's like god damn holy shit yeah it's kind of cool. a lot of there's a lot of really striking similarities between the two cases but i kind of have to agree with you like uh, because of the because of the teeth and the tissue samples that were retained there's a lot more information about this to shed light on it and you know honestly like this is stuff they didn't know in 1970 so i can understand why that investigation in 1970 would have fizzled out because there is a lot of weird stuff here, um, but honestly, yeah, it just feels like there's more there's more to go through with the Eistall woman than there was with Summerton Man. 
I mean, yes. if they if they could exhu- if they exhume Summerton Man's body and you know get a sample of his DNA that's usable, that probably will because they know Rachel Egan, right? That probably will answer a lot of questions about who he is. It won't answer the question about why he died and stuff because you know that's still right, suspicious. Right. But it would answer who he is. Like with this one, we don't know why she died. We don't know why, who she is. We don't know, we don't know anything. Like, we don't know anything about Summerton, man. Maybe the DNA would help you get there, though. But in this one, you got the DNA, and it still didn't help, exactly. At least so far. Well, we've got a lot, I mean, we've got, like, a lot of sightings of her as well. Yeah. Summerton, man, seems much more, uh unknown right like a ghost like nobody yeah like he just showed up and nobody fucking ever saw him and then he's just dead i mean at least uh you know there's people remembered seeing this woman and you know a lot of people remark about that she was dressed well and you know that she was a woman traveling alone in 1970 uh seemed strange to them like they felt like this was a very confident woman uh and intriguing because she was alone um and so a lot of the people at the the hotels she makes an impression on on people you know women remember her because of this stuff and then obviously the men are going gaga oh are they can we talk about them for a second the fucking hotels hotels. can we talk about these hotels hotels? are hotels the greatest asset to police detectives (laughs) on the fucking planet (laughs) yeah I mean, holy shit, these motherfuckers know so much about yeah, her. They, this honestly is like the they're most like, information about her coming from <laughs> hotel staff. They're like, uh, ah, yes, the, I saw a woman. Uh, we know from uh, changing her sheets that she left a 0.004 centimeter depression in the mattress. Yeah. So she likely weighed 125 pounds. We know this information. <laughs> yeah, these... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you have to uh you have to give it to these uh these uh, Norwegian uh hotels because these people were paying attention now. They were. She ordered uh she ordered the grapefruit from the room service without any sugar. 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 <laughs> likely <laughs> likely indicating that she recently burnt her tongue on a hot piece of pizza. <laughs> Some of the famous Norwegian pizza. She she took up way too much time at the Continental Breakfast Waffle Maker, indicating she has a type A personality and a poor relationship with her mother. <laughs> she she knew how to work the uh the waffle maker, which which made me think she was probably Belgian. She made Belgian waffles. <laughs> So, clearly this is somebody who's familiar with Belgium. She did not use any floating devices in the pool. (laughs) In the pool. (laughs) In the pool. (laughs) Clearly showing that she is not a shark. She was indeed a human. (laughs) Thank you, hotels. God bless you, hotels, doing the Lord's work. I mean, 
Jesus fucking Christ. Everybody's worried about Big Brother spying on us, Andy, but we should be worried about Big Hotel. Big hotel. Watch out for these maids that come in when you're just trying to eat dinner on the bed with a yeah. few friends while a man watches you from a couch. It's not the NSA. It's Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> Which is... It's Red Roof Inn. It's 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 the Ramada. The Ramada, yeah. <laughs> it's La Quinta. La Quinta. What's your favorite hotel chain? What's your favorite hotel chain? Oh wow, uh, I wasn't ex- I wasn't prepared for this question. Um, I know you weren't. I hit you with it. Um, I don't know, Art. Um, like my okay. favorite, my favorite national like chain. I guess we'll never know. I guess much like yeah. Ice Tall Woman. <laughs> Um, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Do you have an answer to this question? Uh, I re- I like a La Quinta. I recently stayed in, and this is not an endorsement from Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time <laughs> Podcast. This is, this is, these are the views and the statements made by the co-hosts of this show do not represent the views of Mr. Bunker and the podcast. I stayed at, I think it's called an above, above the loft. Something with loft hotel. And that was pretty, that was a pretty dope hotel. I got to admit. And very reasonably priced. Above the loft? Above Uh, the aloft? What? Is it above the aloft? Aloft hotel? Yeah, maybe something with like a loft. It had loft in the title. I can't. Well, I don't if it's a loft hotels, it's a Marriott brand. Yeah, they're owned stylish by Marriott boutique hotels. They're very stylish. Um, I've never stayed in one. I guess I don't stay in that many hotels. Yeah, you're more of like a sleep on the side of the road. Yeah, kind of guy. I prefer to sleep in pee in bottles. Keep the bottles of piss too long. In the car. <laughs> you pee in the bottle and then you drink the pee later, and it's very efficient that way. <laughs> Um, I, uh, do prefer to sleep in rest areas, uh, in my car. I like the element of, I like the element of danger. (laughs) The element of surprise. No, no, I don't, I don't really like that. No, to be honest with you. Um, you know, most of the time when I guess when I go somewhere, like a lot of times I'm like staying in a house or something, you know, like renting a, a house or something. Okay. Um I guess I guess I don't know that I have a favorite. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Andy hates you know, hotels. Traditional hotel chains can get fucked cuz I do not need you. Can you imagine what the hotel scene would have been like for the garlic craze of oh Norway in 1970? God. Oh baby. Garlic Fest 74. Would you love to have been alive for the garlic craze oh of Norway God. in 1970? I would give anything to go back in time and experience that when garlic finally hit the shores of Norway. Holy shit. I'm not so sure about that claim, though, to be honest with you. Because um, it seems to me like wild garlic, <laughs> like ramps and stuff, are, you know, like a typical like foraged thing in Norway. So I, oh. I, I don't know about... Rolf Rortvet on this one that nobody was using garlic in in uh, Norway until a few years after the ice doll woman died. I mean, have we garlic's in damn? Near have we considered man. the possibility that she was part of the team trying to get people to use garlic? 
That she was working for Big Garlic? <laughs> That's why she's... She's working for Big Garlic. <laughs> Someone call fucking Guy Fieri. She's working for Johnny Garlic. <laughs> That's off the chain. Text... Text with Sabi. Sabi and Johnny Garlic. Johnny uh, Garlic. I mean... Yeah, you know, there, there's, that's, that's where I'm kind of leaning, Andy, as well, as I just, I think, I, I definitely lean murder. <laughs> I lean murder. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I went to school with Eileen murder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just like the, you look at, you know, if we take. If we take your precious Occam's razor here, Andy, I mean, <laughs> don't take it away from me. I need it to reason- shave. Yeah. Uh, what is the most reasonable explanation here is that uh, I think all signs kind of po- accident. You're you're pulling more strings for accident than you are for murder, yeah. I think. I agree. And, and, you know, I think the thing that doesn't scream murder is the sleeping pills, right? That screams more of a suicide but yes it's the only thing that's sort of out of place for a murder in my mind and if Stephen Doral says that there's other espionage related murders where barbiturates have been stuffed in the throat of the dying person then there's there's precedent for it right then it's not this doesn't exist in a vacuum as the only time this has ever happened yeah so it just seems to me more like she probably had these pills stuffed into her mouth or something and Ugh. then was like set afire. Set ablaze. I, I'm no uh, forensics expert. I think that much is obvious. <laughs> um, I think yeah. I think you could literally take anything and add expert to it and it wouldn't involve my name. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, so I don't know, maybe they like knocked her out or something, or they did some, like these, let's say some, uh, the murderers of the like spy, uh, the enemy spies or something did something to her. Like she has this bruise mm-hmm. on her neck. Maybe they like grabbed her and then shoved the pill, you know, like shove the pills down. I mean, it seems kind of crazy to shove pills down someone's throat, but at the same time, I guess it could be possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I have to do it to my, we have to do it to our cat. Right. So, and we know from the autopsy that she was alive when she was set on fire. So because Jeez. she breathed in the soot and the smoke from the fire. So she was alive while the fire was burning. So there's no way that you would, you could have put the pills in after the the fire was started. You know what I mean? Right. Like it has to happen sequentially, the pills and then the fire. So, you know, it seems to make good sense to me that if this is like an accidental fire, you know, it just is what a coincidence that it would happen. Oh, after I took all these sleeping pills. Um, And if it's a suicide, I mean, it's still, there's a lot of questions there. So to me, it just kind of makes sense that whatever, whatever, whoever was with her, uh, must have must have like you said done something to her 
shoved these pills in her body. They weren't all fully digested, so or in the bloodstream. So it's like it wasn't like she had taken these long time before. Um, and then right. it's like, and then she gets set on fire, and that's that's the end of it. Like these things all add up, and she dies because of the sleeping pills and. Why? And who knows what her body was doing, you know, with that many sleeping pills in it, even though they're not all fully dissolved in, into the bloodstream. She might have she might have just been unconscious yeah. from that. I don't know. I'm no I'm no pharmacologist. Uh, but you did take Ambien one time and then tweeted a bunch of racist, terrible stuff one time, didn't you? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> That is a favorite pastime, yeah, is. yours, isn't it? Wait, what is? This is a reference to something. Is this uh, Rosie O'Donnell? Roseanne? Uh, no, it's Roseanne. Roseanne yes. Not Rosie O'Donnell. She she made a couple of uh, very off color yeah, statements. About Valerie Jarrett on Twitter, and then that that's right, and then um, uh, and then said it was because yeah, of the ambient. That's right. Ambien's pretty fucked yeah. up, man. I uh, I have never taken a sleeping pill. For some bad things honestly. about it. I haven't either. I don't, I really, any, uh, I'll take, uh, I mean, I say that and then I go and I take herbal supplements, but like, I don't really count melatonin as anything that bad because melatonin is pretty naturally occurring in yourself. That's what you produce when you do sleep. You know what worries me about <laughs> sleeping pills and stuff like that is what happens while I'm asleep. What am yeah. I going to dream about? Oh yeah. Sometimes you can have dreams. Like sometimes I'll take, I mean, and this is just legit. Like I have a cold or whatever, coughing, can't sleep, take some NyQuil. I'll have these dreams that make me, I do not get good rest. Oh really? Yeah, I, I I have the same thing. When I take um, Nyquil or any kind of stuff like that, I have dreams in like HD. Like my dreams are high definition. Oh, nice. Like things are way more clear and they feel way more lucid. And yeah, I frequently also have like, I'll have like cringe dreams. Like, uh, like I'll be back in like cringy situations or like I'll be confronted about yeah. something. That I didn't do, and then like a bunch of people, like I'll have bad dreams. And my <laughs> dreams are always much more lame. It's like I'll be laying down and looking up at a. <laughs> you you dream. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Even when you're asleep, you dream I, about I, laying it's down. It's my ideal state. Uh, I'll be like laying down and looking up at a tiled ceiling, and I'll just instinctively know that my mission is to count all the tiles in the ceiling. But I'll, but I'll keep getting interrupted or forget what number I'm on, and so I just keep starting over and over, and so I'll just keep counting these tiles. <laughs> but I'll feel really like anxious about counting them all, um, and so it gives me anxiety while I'm asleep. Holy so, shit! That is uh, that is very yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you count tiles. Kind of interesting, or maybe tiles on a floor. <laughs> wow, I'm glad that. Uh, I'm glad that Christopher Nolan didn't use you as the uh, inspiration for Inception because that would have been the most boring fucking dream <laughs> sequence. We got to get in there and count those for, tiles for, for him. For all those. For, yeah. 
for Leonardo DiCaprio and Joseph Gordon-Levitt to fucking run through. <laughs> they they, <laughs> they draw, your just, you're just counting tiles. The they're like, I'm like, I don't know how many tiles there are. They're like, there's 15. <laughs> and then, and then I wake up. Everything's better. I was like, oh, movie was over. It's 15 <laughs> minutes long. That's efficient movie. Um, you can eat your popcorn, drink your soda, and get the hell out of there. Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, Inception, based on the um, the anime movie. Uh, it's really it's just more of a movie. I don't know. It's animated. It's called Paprika it's by Satoshi animated. It's animated. Um, highly rem- highly uh, recommend it. Okay. Good movie. Thank you. I accept that recommendation. So a lot of Satoshi Kon's movies were really good, but Paprika was really good. And it's great on chicken. Anyway. It's great on lots of stuff, Andy. Um, well, I, I mean, I know there's a lot to discuss about this case, but I feel like... I mean, we could sit here and talk about Dr. Bang and Fishstick all day <laughs> long, you know? But, uh, what names? You can, hey, let's give it up. I did pretty good with the I names. I have to say, huh? you did a pretty good job. Um, and I did. Yeah. I mean, I had pronunciation. good job but... with the pronunciation guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if we have any Norwegian listeners, I mean, we know you're out there. Um, let us know how, how, the, how we did with these, if we were okay or not good. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I know, I know. It feels like there's a lot to talk about with this, but at the same time, so here's an example of a piece of information that you maybe don't know if it's important or not, and it kind of turns out to not be all that important or relevant, possibly. Um, is the spoon that was found in the ice doll woman's suitcases that were left at the Bergen train station? She had a spoon, and on the back. There was an engraved heart, and inside the heart it said SCH. There was an underscore, then the letter P. Uh, now, when NRK investigated this, they 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 overlooked the spoon, and they started doing this uh, this podcast called Death and Ice Valley, uh, in conjunction with the uh, the BBC World Service, and a listener of the podcast sent in a tip of like what did you look into about the spoon? Do you know how much, what do you know about the spoon? And of course they didn't really know anything about the spoon. And this listener suggested, and they were confused. They were like, are you talking about the popular indie rock band that did the song for uh, orange County spoon? Uh, These emails went back and forth for days uh, before they finally got on the same page. (laughs) And this listener suggested to, uh, the death and ice Valley crew that, um, that spoons are sometimes carried by Jewish people as like commemorative items to either remember like a special event or a specific person. Um, I I mean, personally, I'm not familiar with that as being a custom. I don't know, um, anything about that. And I didn't really find anything just briefly kind of looking into it um but this person this listener suggested it to them so they went back and started looking at the spoon they find this engraved stuff on the back of it and they think this is a lead this means something and 
you know, somebody else suggested that the inscription on the back that was engraved might be like this uh, Catholic religious order called the Purists because they use uh, the initials SCH um, as part of their uh, thing. And so they started like pulling at these threads that were coming up with this uh, and they started really looking into this connection uh, of the Eistall woman being Jewish and the spoon maybe leading them somewhere. Well, it turned out that the spoon they found like they found like an exact the exact same spoon in a Norwegian museum. And apparently this was like just cutlery that was very common in Norway at the time. Um and it turned out that this was like mass produced cutlery that came from some factory in Austria. So it was like not special at all it was just a, a like a like a, a fork you would buy at a store or a spoon you buy at a store like it it didn't seem wow. to actually have any special connection to anything she just had a spoon in her suitcase um so it, it's just it, what you just described is how every woman has ever <laughs> felt about me <laughs> wait which part <laughs> all of it all of it at first they think oh man here is some Fucking very important, very meaningful spoon. Start and no, pulling at these threads, it turns just out that a spoon, it's the most mundane spoon you could imagine. So, oh yeah, but it's it's one of those things where it's like they started pulling at these threads on this spoon because it seemed yeah. like a good lead, but then at the end of the day, it really didn't go anywhere, and you know, it just turns out to be a mass produced spoon. So it's like the spoon seems significant when you first hear about it, but then it turns out. It's, it doesn't seem to be really significant at all. And I think there's a lot of stuff in this in this case that's like that, where it's almost, you know, with with Somerton Man, you didn't know that much about him. So there's some key things to focus on. With this one, there's a lot of stuff that you right. could focus on, but it's hard to know what's important and what's not. What's going to lead yeah. you somewhere and what's not. That's a good point, Andy. Very good. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm ready yeah, to get to verdicts. Get to verdicts. Um, um, okay. Why don't you go ahead and then okay. I'll, uh, I'll follow. So, all right. So let's see. Um, we talked about this being like two paths. Really, I'm kind of deciding on how how I should how I should do a verdict. So I guess what's the first yeah. like branch? It's like suicide so it's the like method of death first like just regular old yeah. suicide um so let's see just, just regular old regular suicide. you know run-of-the-mill suicide stuff um all right suicide. all right so let me think if uh if i if i think about suicide i'm gonna look up the bunker scale to give myself it's conveniently in yeah, our email that's where i'm going <laughs> Um, cause look, where it comes with suicide, I'm not, you know, for all the reasons that we talked about, I'm not super convinced on the suicide, but I, you know, I don't think that I'm going to give it like the lowest amount of probability, uh, just because sure, just because fair. I kind of feel like, I don't know. That this was a regular person. Who hiked all the way out to these very remote uh, mountainous hiking trail and 
and yeah, met their demise. I mean, I mean that's through just mean, through their own hands. That's like it's it's over the top for me, you know, to say that self-inflicted swallowing seventy pills and uh, explosions. Yeah, if it in was the face. if it was just the pills, like I said, I'm all I'm all on board for that. You know what I mean? Like then that seems like a suicide to me. Yeah. But also the hiking up to Ulrican, right. I I just. I'm not so convinced by it. Um, so I think that, uh, man, is it in the inbox? It's in uh, your personal email. Oh, that explains it. Thanks, Art. All right, I'm going to get this. Hey, I'm probably no somewhere like plausible molecule is probably where I'm guessing on suicide. Because like, Wow. You think Holy it's fuck. That's way oh, lower. He... Holy shit. You thought it was going to be higher than that? Yeah. yeah. But hey, it's your verdict. Wow. <laughs> On suicide? Really? I'm just not convinced. I don't know, dude. I mean, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think plausible. I think plausible molecule for me on on, on suicide. Like I it just maybe, but I'm not so convinced. Uh, okay. Like for an accident, it's case closed. I don't think it was an accident. I'm not buying the hairspray theory. I'm not buying any of the accident. Like it, it, it like you said, it's it's too big a stretch for me. Um, yeah, you hear that musical theater community? We're not buying we're hairspray. Not, we're done with it. <laughs> um, so I'm case closed. I'm case closed on accident. I'm plausible molecule on suicide. Um, on a murder, I am, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to go deep into it. I was plausible molecule. I'm going highly plausible on, on a murder. I feel, I feel really strongly that the woman was murdered for the reasons that we talked about. Like she, baby, it's, it's strange that there would be all those pills, but if there's some precedent for people stuffing barbiturates in somebody's throat, then it kind of matches with the situation. Um, add to that that there's this bruise on her neck and add to that all that uh, the fire. The fire is the real thing because for as much talk as there is from some people who were at the site and stuff about a campfire or something like that, there's none of the police reports say there was a campfire like there doesn't seem to be any evidence that there yeah. was a campfire, so there's this yeah. disconnect. I, I noticed that too. Where like it's, some people yeah. keep saying it, people people kind of assume that there was like a campfire because it's mentioned in one spot, but then like it's contradicted in multiple other places, and they don't bring it up. And then it's like, uh, I guess there wasn't I feel like a campfire. It's, uh, Carl Halver Oss, who says that he keeps he keeps mentioning like a campfire, but th- there wasn't. You know, the police at the time didn't record that there was a campfire. So it's like, if there's no campfire, where's the fire coming from? Somebody has to, like, do that to you. And then the petrol's there, but there's no evidence of a petrol can or any petrol anywhere else. So it just feels to me like she was doused in a controlled way and then set on fire. And this happened while she was alive. And... I mean, it's it's very gruesome and it's awful, and but that's I mean, to me, it's the thing that makes the most sense. That's just how I'm how I'm seeing this. 
Yeah. And so then we come on the the espionage thing, right? Yes, yes. sir. Thank you for being so respectful <laughs> to one of your for one of yes, your elders. Yes, sir. Um, that is how co-hosts yeah, should talk to each other. Listen and learn. We have podcasters respect out there. For each Take other. a note. And nobody else. <laughs> Literally no one else. <laughs> um I, I'm going uh I'm going okay, on on espionage oh, I'm going plausible say? plus and a half. Wow. Incredible. You know, I'm like hey, in I'm like half because I'm feeling really strongly about about espionage involvement. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not saying wow. that the, the Istal woman was a spy herself because a lot of people who know about spies that reviewed this kind of feel like she maybe wasn't a spy because of the way that spy networks tend to work that people are assigned to a specific place and to monitor certain things within their area and they don't do all this like traveling yeah. around and stuff. So it's it seems likely that uh what Vasiliev suggests that she's part of like a spy network that she's like a courier or something or she's doing some kind of work for a spy who's maybe in Bergen, maybe in Stavanger and they're like watching these penguin missile trials and maybe she's working for them and like passing information around um that people are learning and and doing this like discreetly and then something goes wrong and she ends up murdered. I think that that kind of speaks to me a little bit, but obviously I'm not totally sold on it because there's no real evidence for it, but it kind of helps explain too. like, look, uh, Aspirin burn Bryn was, uh, uh, involved in the like Norwegian, uh, police service. So he had like connections to the government. You know, he knew the people that were running like the intelligence agencies and stuff, you know, I'm almost certain of that. So it seems to me to make sense that if there's somebody who's willing to quickly wrap up an investigation because it's getting like too hot um, from an international perspective, like that there's a that there's an international storm a brewing that he would he seems like to me, it seems plausible that he would shut it down and then just move on and say there's no espionage here. This was a suicide, a person acting on their own, some person who has uh, inscrutable goals because they're suffering from some kind of ailment mentally. Uh, so just never mind. Forget it ever happened. Because um, I, I don't know. You know, it's like wow. the woman, the Danish woman who said her grandfather claimed that they cut the investigation because of a tie to Israel. Some of that stuff kind of makes sense to me, right? That it, you know, this was like, a sensitive time for something like that to happen. There's it's happened in the past. Yeah. It's happened I don't, in the past. I don't, I don't put the government beyond covering up stuff like that. So, you know, it, that, that doesn't seem, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, I don't believe that, that, you know, Bergen police would ever cover up a murder like this. They would want it solved. I think for sure they would cover hey, it up if they had a reason to. We're airing out your dirty laundry yeah, here in Norway. Got some skeletons in the old uh, closet. They're stuck fjord. in the cave by the fjord. Um, so I'm going plausible and a half on that. I mean, for the other stuff, uh, wow. I wanna I wanna say like most of this stuff, like 
part of organized crime or maybe an art thief, um, I'm going to give that, I'm going to give that a, a plausible plus, I think. Uh, just that's one we didn't really talk about, but I don't know. It kind of, it kind of makes sense, right? Like if this was like a sophisticated art theft ring was... or something and maybe she yeah. was like, she screwed up and I mean, it seems like extreme lengths to go to for art theft though. Yeah, so maybe I'll just make it plausible. Yeah. And just go straight plausible. Yeah, and the like and the just like zero identity, no family, like just because you're part of organized yeah. crime doesn't mean you can't have all the family Yeah, I connections. mean as we've seen before like with the American mafia, the mafia is great at crime. It's all about la familia, baby. As we've seen, the locos nostra, they uh they're great at crime, but they, are they though? Like they're not that great at it because I mean, like you said, they they don't really hide their identities or stuff. Like they're very open. Like <laughs> I, it would be strange for me to think of a mobster with like multiple passports and stuff. I mean, honestly, that kind of stuff seems we're loud and passionate, maybe like, maybe like terrorist lovers. Thing, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not suggesting that she's a part of a yeah. terrorist organization, but. Because it seems more like espionage, which I guess is kind of adjacent to terrorism. But I don't know. Some kind of like art theft ring. It's kind of plausible. It's like secret government approved terrorism. (laughs) So. Like we're going to go over here and like see what you're up to and maybe kill some people and not let anyone know. So that's where I am. I guess that's not really terrorism. That's where I am. But anyway. I'm saying case case closed accident. Plausible molecule suicide. Plausible, uh, wow. wow! Highly wow, wow. plausible for murder. Uh, plausible for art theft ring. Plausible plus and a half uh, involved in espionage. Wow. Um. Okay. Well, I think you know. I echo your statements on. I don't think it was an accident. I think I'm going to go case closed on accident. You know uh, what? I'm going to say this too, Art. I want to verticize one more thing. Case closed. Being a prostitute. Oh. oh okay. Oh. <laughs> this is quite a lifestyle for a prostitute. Like, what kind of a? I mean, she's going <laughs> yeah. some weird places to just be a prostitute. You know what I mean? Like this. I mean, what kind of a? If this is a high end escort. I'm just not buying that. So I'm saying case closed on prostitute. And as we know, the these these Norwegian hotels <laughs> document every cum stain. Yeah. Uh and on your hotel bed when you check out and then they ask you where you're going like fucking hotels. Where are you going before yeah. this and after these this? These forms are like, intense. Jesus Christ, dude. I'm just fucking staying here for the night. If God I had damn, to fill that out dick. when I went to a hotel, I'd be like, what do you want to know? I came from home. I'm yeah. going back home after I leave here. What do you want? I'm not going anywhere else. My freaking wife kicked me out. What do you want to know? Who do you think I am? Away? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the doghouse. Oh, bark, bark. Give me a bone. Give, give me, me a bone, bone Norway. God damn. I need a bath. Find the bones. <laughs> so, I'm going case closed on uh, on accidental okay. as well. I don't echo. Yeah, you seemed per- disturbed by my uh, verdicts. Otherwise, 
I thought you were going to go like plausible minus. I'm going to go plausible minus minus. Oh, so you thought side. you were going to be lower than me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't explain the fire. I can't. There's no way I can explain it through yeah. a suicide. Uh, I, yeah, unless, I don't know. Somebody came, hiked across a person with a, who took a bunch of sleepy pills and then set them on fire. Like, that's the only way I can explain it. <laughs> we know Some little fire bug like climbing up Orkin was like, later. hey, look, a person who passed out from taking 70 <laughs> sleeping pills. Oh, look at this. A person who was based out on the Let- Easter Rally as his tradition. We will <laughs> set them ablaze in a, in a Viking fire. Let me just get my matches and my petrol and let me <laughs> carefully dress the body and then set it ablaze. As is tradition. Um, now fly to Valhalla. <laughs> we are we are offending so many and Norwegians just people, right now. And just people of that's good okay. character. Yeah, that too. And people who enjoy uh, good <laughs> entertainment. Um, we're an affront yeah. to so many things. <laughs> we're not a front for anything. We're an affront to everything. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, plausible okay. minus minus. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe even plausible Ooh, smidge okay. on that one. I just can't explain the fire. Yeah. I can't explain it. And the, all the placing of the stuff, even as I'm talking it out, I'm I'm moving my answer even lower. So, yeah, maybe plausible smidge for suicide. I, I just... All the stuff, like, I just yeah. can't explain it. Um, so, then we have just a regular old murder. Um, for regular old murder, I'm going to go with, uh, highly plausible. Same as me. Definitely was murdered. For being a spy or connected to spies Mm -hmm. in some way or a courier for spies or just, uh, someone who was like kind of on the outskirts of the spy scene and was like trying to like break in on the, the spy scene, you know, but the, wasn't there yet. <laughs> like they're kind of like, they're hanging out at a lot of the spy locations and they're just kind of waiting for the, the person who runs the spy team auditions to yeah. kind of notice them. And then like, you know, maybe they'll let them join a spy team and they'll do like Monday night spy stuff uh, for, you know, smaller, maybe more like spy, stu- Monday nights, spy 10 audiences. PM. It's not a great time slot. Yeah. No, it's not. And you're mostly just kind of trying to push yeah. drinks anyway, because most of the people there are getting free tickets, three admission. But, you know, maybe you work your way up the spy ranks and who knows, maybe Wednesday night you're playing with Carl and the spy masters. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day spy J and spy TJ. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day, you know, uh, TJ, uh, Spike, Spike, get down, born, Shegged Borgenorski <laughs> sees you performing and he says, Hey, man, you're pretty freaking good. You want to come play with Carl and the Spy Masters? <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta get approval from Nora, Nora. yeah, <laughs> Norad. You gotta get approval from, uh, uh, Noah 
Gregorupler. <laughs> Gregorupled. First. See what he says. That's a joke yeah, for like two yeah, people sure how many. the show. You get that uh, joke, let us know. Uh, I'm going spy theory. Okay. Gird your loins. Plausible Ooh, plus plus. Very- we are in the green. We're in the I'm in the I'm in the forest green area of the the newest version version I think 2.0 yeah, of the bunker you're, scale. You're well into very plausible territory. I'm in the green on it. I just think it lines up the, the her weird pattern, her I mean you could say her her behavior is some as of someone who is manic, of someone who is paranoid yeah. for sure, but you can't also say that that's not the behavior of a someone related to the yeah. spy field. Uh, I would think being a spy would make you very paranoid at the end of the day. You would probably leave the spy field with some form of PTSD, yeah, I would imagine. I would think so. And feeling like people are constantly out to get you or that you're... Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean... The weird behavior, the multiple costumes, the disguises, like the wigs and shit and the makeup and the, um, yeah. And just, you know, the coinciding with that penguin missile system, it's the perfect opportunity. She speaks all these weird languages that aren't Norwegian or English. And so people are like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? And it's kind of like, you know, so... Who knows? I definitely think that she probably wasn't a master spy or something because uh, it, it it does seem more like it does seem like we, why would you have all these weird names? You know, why would you be doing like if you were a real spy? Yeah, you would just kind of stay in one spot, gather intel, work on one identity. That's why I kind of feel like it makes sense to um, say it's Mossad because... Mossad always seems like they kind of play it fast and loose with with their with yeah. their stuff. Like they go they go harder than other spy agencies in a way. You know, it's like where I feel like the KGB is very like determined, but they're <laughs> We heard from somebody said that they heard from a friend from their cousin's brother's friend that possibly they're testing missiles. All right, well, go blow up a fucking Norwegian <laughs> ship. <laughs> Gotta do it. Yeah. Can't show Can't weakness. Show weakness. <laughs> but you know, the KGB, like these spies were very like, you know, there was a there was a method to it. You know what I mean? Whereas I yeah. think Mossad gets a little more uh they get a longer leash than maybe a lot of the other intelligence agencies do. Cause like Operation Wrath the God in a lot of ways was off the off the rails. Um, you know, obviously the the incident in Norway was like wildly uh, bad <laughs> for just yeah. They just, just murdered, murdered some dude and then got arrested. Uh, so they didn't even you know flee the country. Uh, so that was bad. Um, but a lot of Operation Wrath of God. Well, you got to have a little celebration party after you murder <laughs> yeah. the wrong person. You want to stick around, see what happens. Um, you know, an Operation Wrath of God. I mean, was was you know really basically just an assassination campaign to murder, you know, it was allegedly supposed to be retaliatory for, um, 
the Black September attacks in Munich during the Olympics. But then it's like basically Mossad used it as license to essentially execute anybody that they could that supported Palestine. So people who people who lived abroad <laughs> that, you know, were in favor of Palestinian independence and stuff like that just got murdered as part of Operation Wrath of God. Um, and, you know, Israel was pretty rightly condemned for a lot of the stuff. But, you know, it's hard to it's hard to see that playing out the same with a lot of other intelligence services. You know what I mean? Like the CIA is pretty, pretty out there uh, in a lot of the stuff that they do. But I even think Mossad is like maybe yeah. a little more a little more so than even the CIA is, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like the CIA has like a motorcycle and like a cool frilled buckskin jacket that they wear and maybe even a right. cowboy hat and sunglasses. But Mossad comes in wearing assless chaps, nothing underneath, um, just a leather vest that says badass on the back and a fucking they have an earring of yeah. a uh, eagle feather. And it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, you don't know. But they're way there. I mean, they're you can tell, though, when they show up on screen on camera, it's like, OK, these yeah, guys don't play by the way. Obviously drinking while driving their motorcycle. Yeah. That's Mossad. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh hey. Gotta give a quick shout out here, Andy, to a longtime OG bunk funker here. Uh goes by the name of uh well, well goes by Morbid. Um uh various online monikers wanted to see uh, an episode where we feel more plausible about the verdict. Oh, well, here you go. There. Here you go, my man. We here's one right here. Didn't plan it, but we uh, <laughs> we both felt way more plausible about this topic than ever before. And and thank you to again to Anna there. Uh, Anna, Anna thank from you. Spain. This was a great topic from España. This was a great topic and. Um, those were our verdicts. Let us know what you think. Use the hashtag uh, Norwegian Wood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Does that yeah. make any sense? Yeah, because uh, no, that actually, that actually, um, that actually plays out really well um, for us in this case. Uh, I think art because if you just if you think about the lyrics of the song Norwegian Wood, which is a song by Beatles the Beatles, song, I once had a girl, or should I say, she once had me. Uh, let's see. She asked me to stay and she told me to sit anywhere. So I looked around and I noticed there wasn't a chair because the chair was in the hallway. I, uh-huh. Whoa. Uh, let's see. And when I awoke, I was alone. This bird had flown. So I lit a fire. Isn't it good? Norwegian wood. I think that Norwegian wood was actually about the ice doll woman. Maybe. It was also a novel by a great author, Haruki Murakami. It's a, uh, it's a story of loss and burgeoning sexuality. Uh, very sad. If you're in a sad mood, like this case is kind of sad, go read Norwegian Wood okay. by Haruki Murakami. Highly recommend it. Um, let us know what you think about the your verdicts. Or the well, our verdicts and your verdicts. Um, use the hashtag Norwegian Wood and email us 
mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Tweet at us or find us on Instagram at mrbunkerpod. Log on to our website, mrbunkersconspiracytime.com. Find us on Twitch at mrbunkerpod. And find us on YouTube by YouTube searching Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time. We are everywhere. We're everywhere, baby. We're everywhere and nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, that seems about right. All right. Uh, well, Andy, is there anything else that you have? For um, wow. You little wow. hamster. Uh, no, I, I'll just, uh, I'll echo what you said. I mean, Anna, thanks for this uh, topic. This was a great one. Uh, very interesting. Are you sure you didn't um, have anything else? Why? Am I forgetting to do something right now? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and you asked oh, yeah, me. I, did. I do if... have something. Ah, yes, uh, of course. Uh, sorry, my brain don't work so good no more. Uh, art. Um, okay, let's say uh, you're a spy. Okay, or or maybe, okay. oh, or okay. maybe, let's or maybe say. you're just like a famous <laughs> person. Like, let's pretend for a minute that you have yeah. some notoriety, yeah. um, and oh, you want to use a pseudonym. While you're staying at hotels, what's the name that you use, yeah. and why do you use that name? Well, Andy, uh, you know this about me, but other people might not know this about me because they don't know me. Is that I like funny <laughs> do you names? Really? We hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but naming characters in sketch shows or for bits that we used to do on stage, we obviously, you know, we both you and I have had a long history career, storied on the, careers on the, stage. on the stages. Yes. Oh, so storied. so so storied. But naming characters was always mm-hmm. something I loved. It's always kind of a treat, usually yeah. just for me. Uh, famously, in one of our sketch shows that we co-wrote uh, with our our improv group and and others. Um, it was a show about Guy Fieri taking right. over a game show. I had a I had a minor character that I named Johnny Tabasco, and I love names like that. And I I love I really really enjoy Bobby naming Tabasco. characters with a normal first name. All oh, right, Bobby Tabasco. Yeah, you're right. Fuck. <laughs> Whatever. Who gives a fuck? Names are dumb. Names are fucking stupid. Uh. I love giving characters a normal first name and then uh, a food as the last name because it's a really easy way to associate like personality traits mm-hmm. with the food. Like if you have somebody named Billy right. Corncob, it's going to, he's, you know, Billy Corncob is going to be a little sweet, a little buttery fella. <laughs> Maybe he's a little cowardly because yeah. corn is yellow, but horseradish Kyle horseradish comes Kyle. in hot. Yeah. He clears out those sinuses. Wouldn't it be you know Kyle horseradish? Okay. It could go either way because right, it adds right. a layer of mystery, Andy. Like, how did he get the name Horseradish Kyle? Is his first name Horseradish? Did he eat a lot of horseradish? Did he do something? (laughs) Does his family make it? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Uh, I had a character named Dijon Artie Artenberger. I remember that. Who was a Sully Sullenberger character who was really more obsessed (laughs) with anime. But the, the quirk about him that people liked a lot more was than the anime bit was that he admittedly hated geese. It admitted to purposely murdering <laughs> geese true. with his plane. Uh, I had a character that I never debuted named Artie Nougat. Oh. And he was like a shitty 80s comic with wow. a goofy catchphrase. This is a hosting bit that I never got to use. 
with a goofy catchphrase, which was, I did what last night? And he was also a serial killer. <laughs> so those kind of lined up. I don't know why his name was Artie Nougat. I just yeah. really like that name. I have an online moniker that I won't reveal oh. just yet, but it involves food as well. Yeah, if you bunk funkers would join the Twitch um, streams, you'd, you'd find it out. Yeah, yeah. I also really like giving characters adjectives for names. I have a D&D character I'm playing right now okay. called Greasy Pete. I have another one I'm playing Barry called Barry. Barry. Does he have a soggy bottom? <laughs> oh, no, oh, but maybe. Oh. Maybe at some point yeah. he will. He's exceedingly hairy. And I also like the name Dr. Thick Fingers. Because I don't know. Yeah. It just makes me laugh. Fernella Lork is a great name too. So is Giselle Bang. I will never top Giselle Bang. But I think I'm going to go with Artie Nougat. Because there's just, you know, obviously I'm a little vain and mm-hmm. I like my first name. And I like using it in different ways. I think... Me, much like you, we have these kind of malleable first names. They they can morph into a lot of different things and sounds and places. Artie, Art, Artenberger. You could just kind of put art. Art rhymes with so many different words. It's easy to make tons of different character names that have art. Yeah. But maybe Artie knew, you know, maybe saying Artie is kind of a, you know, give me away. But maybe I can kind of play on the opposite. Like, oh... This isn't really Arthur, it's Artie. And this yeah. is Artie Nougat. There's enough separation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and who doesn't like Nougat? I mean, Nougat's great. Nougat is in all of my favorite candy bars. Which uh, are? Nougat's a great uh, addition to a candy bar. Gotta all have right, some so, Nougat. Uh, like what? What are your favorite candy bars here? I mean, you gotta... Who doesn't love a Milky Way? Uh, you Milky Way hater? Some people I don't, I don't fucking hate a Milky, Milky Way. Way. I I don't love a Milky Way. I mean, it's you fine. don't like them. Not my yeah, not my favorite though. These don't have nougat in them, but Twix are fucking great. Obviously, we both love a Take Five. Uh, take, take Five, five is a great Take Five candy is bar. the best of everything. Honestly, the, probably the best candy yeah. bar. Take Five is uh, as the kids say these <laughs> days. Fucks. Take Five fucks. Yeah, it does. Take Five fucks. Take five is the Chad candy bar. It's the Chad candy bar. I know that that just contradicted everything I said because it doesn't have nougat. <laughs> I like a Three Musketeers. Some people Don't shit on a Three, three Musketeers because it's, it's, it's so it's chocolate. Plain. What do you want? Yeah, yeah, it's chocolate and nougat. Fucking get off of our get off our case. But anyway, Andy, that's that's the name. I, did you pick a name? Uh, or yeah, did I picked you just a name. Let me um, if I was if I was if I All was right, going to be a spy, I would always. Uh, I would always stay as Matthew Broderick um, because Matthew Broderick <laughs> is the celebrity I've gotten the most often in my life. Although uh, recently because of the last dance um, documentary that's been airing, uh, I've been getting Jerry Krause a lot that <laughs> I was going to yeah. make a Jerry Krause well, joke to you. you. <laughs> I had you would not up, be man. the first. Uh some some bunk funkers, Chris and Matt, uh, have both already uh, reached out to me and and let me know that I am a Jerry Krause lookalike. Um, so maybe I should stay as Jerry Krause. But you know, before that, before this happened, this is very recent. Um, the thing I've gotten most is is Matthew Broderick. So I think Matthew Broderick is 
good um, because people will think that I'm somebody, I'll have maybe notoriety, but people would think that I'm somebody else. So it'd be easy for me to be like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not that Matthew Broderick. But then people might also think that I'm capable of uh, being responsible for the deaths of two people. Uh, and then not taking any responsibility. For yeah, it. in so Ireland, I think it gives me uh, a little bit of a an air of mystique, and people will think that I'm a bad person, so they probably won't mess with me. Um, but then again, if I say I'm Jerry Krause, yeah. people will think, well, this guy could build a championship team. <laughs> but he'll also be a big piece of shit that Michael Jordan will make well, a documentary about. Well, I mean, years later. That's part of the mystique. You yeah. also, I think, Andy, I'm going to throw a okay. third one into the ring, so to speak. Paul Bearer. Bear. Yeah, from WWE. Uh, Undertaker's former manager, Paul oh, Bearer. Uh, okay. It's uncanny. P-A-U-L space. Bearer. <laughs> B-E. A R. Oh yes, yeah. I could be Paul Bear. You could go as this guy for Halloween, and it would be like people would be like, "Holy wow. fuck!" This is you could cosplay as yeah, Paul Bear. I could Bearer, cosplay dude. as Paul Bear. I got, I got a lot I'm of opportunities here. Jerry Krause and Paul Bear, uh, would be. Re- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything's looking so up many, for you, dude. Uh, I mean, hey, here's the thing. Each of these guys, well respected, and I'm, they're legends in their own right. Everybody loves Paul Bearer. Maybe I'll Jerry go. Jerry Krause as did Billy build Gardell. a fucking dynasty. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick, uh, infamous murderer slash Inspector Gadget. Oh, you know, uh, a lot of options yeah, here for you, Andy. Uh, Paul Bearer passed away, so I could actually assume his identity. That's true. You very much could. Um, well, um, I think that's it. That Those were our, uh, those were our, um, our verdicts. Those were our, um, what the fuck did we just do? Names are pseudonyms that we would use if we were checking. Yeah. Into those a hotel. were our pseudonyms. Yeah. In Norway or anywhere. Uh, Norway, when we come to visit you, Norway, together, uh, yeah. we will for use those When names. we're doing research for Are You Going Norway? That's right. Uh, well, anyway, I guess we should probably pack up and... <laughs> there are so ready. many great uh, photos of Paul Bearer in this Google image search. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of good inspiration yeah. for your cosplay. Andy. Yeah, I got a lot to think about here. Check out Andy at C2E2 <laughs> next next year. Only doing the most obscure of cosplays. Yeah, Paul Bearer. Um all right, Andy. Well, you kind of had some last words. Why don't you uh no, I'm glad that off. you did. because uh, we would have missed uh I would not have this inspiration. Um I was just saying, Anna, thanks for the great topic. Uh, Morbid, hope you enjoyed that we were plausible. Uh, the rest of you bunk funkers, thanks for being here. We love you. Smoochy, smoochy. Smooch. Um, well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my lorn co-host, 
<laughs> oh, okay. For my uh, Lauren co-host. Bring back my uh, shame. Andy Hart, I'm Art Stone. <laughs> I'm Artie Nougat saying that was the whole enchilada. Yeah, me. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.